Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, February the 4th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say, Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And on the line with Ms. Stephanie Cook. Hola. All right, guys, we got a a great show planned for you this week. Our first normal show in a while. Uh, We survived the snow. Stephanie is back with us. And this week, um, for our topic, we're going to be talking to Maria Norris, who organized our... um, I always say it wrong. It's uh, <laughs> Human Rights and Representation in Comics Week yeah. um, that we're co-running with the LSE blog. Uh, so stay tuned for her. Uh, I I believe it's going to be a good discussion. Uh, I feel like it will yeah, be. Yeah, I feel like yeah. it definitely will be. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but before that, of course, we're going to go through our books of the week, our lightning round, and our shared book of the week this week, which is going to be Jonathan Hickman's the Dying and the Dead. I always say The Dying of the Dead for whatever reason. And so I have to look mm. at it every time I say it. Or I just say it wrong. Um, with I, I'd say Ryan uh, Bodenheim is the is the artist on that book. We'll be talking about that um, a little bit later. But uh, Stephanie, it's been a couple of weeks. How are you? I am good. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I I'm doing pretty okay. Um, I, I don't think there's anything too exciting or not exciting to report. I've been trying to keep busy, staying out of the snow by not leaving the house. I heard my neighbors passive-aggressively shout at my window, but, oh, no, no one took the garbage out today. <laughs> and I was like, I am not the only person that lives here. <laughs> um, so that that was fun. Um, Any good think, food lately? Uh, yes. I had some. My, my friend came over, my friend Ashley. She came over on Friday. She cooked me homemade um, turkey, like, turkey sauce pasta and then she made like the pasta out of spaghetti squash oh that's good that's a good move that's a good yeah Yeah. it was very good and then we watched horror movies uh jordi belair recommended us a movie called this horror movie called the canal um which will haunt my nightmares (laughs) um it wasn't like that scary but there's this one part where this haunting ghost wife gives birth to her ghost baby but they actually show the birthing like all of the traumatizing stuff and i was like no 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 what no 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 this has to be only like why am i still looking it's like a train wreck that you can't look away from and you're like what no what why are they showing this what is what oh no oh no oh no it's in my brain it's in my brain it's in my brain for good um so that happened and my friend's a big horror buff and she didn't sleep that night (laughs) Um, so it, it's been good. I discovered my favorite Japanese place is going to start delivering next month. They're across the street, but I mean, that's so <laughs> oh, far. Wait a minute. That's so far. <laughs> um, so, you know, 
it, I mean, if you're in your pajamas in the cold, going across the street might as well be going like uh, two hours away. Why don't you set up a zip line from yeah. your window to their front door or something? I know. She was, I mean, I, it wasn't like I was like, do you deliver? I went over there and she's like, you know, I'm going to start delivering next month. And I was like, well, do tell me more. You need a clothesline with a basket. Yeah. And then yeah. you just send yeah. it on over. Money in it, throw it across. Yep. Food comes back. <laughs> Here you go. Or I'll just like start a credit with her. I'll be like, Here's a hundred dollars. Then just deduct every time I buy stuff, um, and let me know when we get low on funds. Get a tab. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I've just been I've been reading a lot. Uh, I've been trying to bounce out some of the books uh, that I keep buying and not reading because then I just read comics. Uh, I've been trying to read a ton of stuff out of my novel collection. Just finished a book called The Girl on the Train. And yeah, I, I'm putting together this month's Toronto Geek Trivia right now. Nice. Nice. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very good. Very good. I'm doing something similar that you're doing with books with video games this month, which Ooh. I'm going through. I'm, I'm committing to doing four of the games in my backlog that I just had, like from this year or last year or whatever that I just haven't, I started playing but haven't finished. Ooh, four, huh? Yeah, there's, I forgot, I saw it on polygon.com, uh, but I think it was a joystick thing, uh, joystick, which is a website, just closed. There's a thing called Four for February, which people, it's like a Facebook group and they go like, okay, we're going to finish these four games and it's like holding you accountable because you're, you know, you're telling people you're going to do it. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I'm doing The Last of Us, which I never finished favorite game of all time uh one of them walking dead season one i just bought that which i never finished um legend of zelda the wind waker which i never finished what (laughs) yeah and i have the hd version on the wii u so i'm doing i'm gonna do that um and mass effect 3 which i never finished (laughs) so yeah so that those are my and i've started all of them i just never finished them that's a lofty list those are some some long games you got there yeah i mean last of us isn't that long and i'm already about probably halfway through it uh, Mass Effect Three. If you do everything, is longish, but it's not more than 20, 20 hours or something like that. Um, which for a game is not that long, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you play it, if you play a couple hours a night for a week, you're pretty much going to be there. Um, you know, and in one good game session, Zelda obviously is long. Obviously, yeah. um, Walking Dead is short, really short though. Mm-hmm. Walking yeah. Dead's probably like an hour and a half an episode. I was looking at the the file content. It's like four point six nine gigabytes for the whole thing. Yeah, that makes sense. It's super small. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm excited because I have all of those games. They did like a sale a couple months ago on the yeah. Xbox Store where it was like fifty five dollars for all the Telltale stuff. Oh wow, you got that? Yeah, so I got it. So That's I'm gonna play awesome. that. But I'm. It's you know, I, I well, first of all, winter is a slow time for me work wise, so I don't have as much money. So it's good not to buy new games, right? And it helps me do that because it keeps me engaged. And also, I always think about, I always look at games like I should have finished this. I should have finished this. I should have finished this. Now I'm gonna finish them. Nice. So <laughs> I'm gonna say it here. Uh, we should do something similar for talking games. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a good idea. Um, but uh, so let's. But we're not here to talk about regular books or video games. We're here to talk about comic books. Well, there you go. Let's go to oh. our lightning round, Stephanie. You <gasps> have been gone for a week, so you're I've been getting, gone for so long. You're getting thrown into the fire. Gone for so long. <laughs> you were here. Since you were not here last gone. week, right? You were here I week. wasn't. You were here the week before that, though. I was. I was yeah. having. I, I had a. <laughs> I had a really bad week last week. Yes, I know. Um, so. but yeah. So I, I am back. I wasn't here, but I have returned, as you can tell by my rambling. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are you ready Round, to go, Stephanie? Groundhogs are the opposite of Star Wars. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a oh a callback to something 
said in the future that was said on another podcast. So wrap your head around that. Oh, some Jonathan Hickman stuff for you right there. It's Groundhog Day (laughs) all over again. (laughs) All right, Stephanie, you ready for your lightning round? I am. All right, and go. All right, so I finally finished a series of manga uh, books that I started a little while ago called Children of the Sea. I'm not going to try and pronounce the person's name. Um, Initially, I bought them because they had really cool art, and the story intrigued me uh, about two little boys that were born in the sea and seemed to have some sort of magical uh, qualities. Uh, It took a very odd turn, um, and... This is only a five uh, volume series and it took a very weird turn into like birthing and all of this stuff. I apparently I'm just into weird birthing movies and comics at the moment. Mm. Um, So it was a really interesting read. I really enjoyed it, but not exactly where I anticipated it going. Um, I finally got to read a book that Steve recommended on like one of our first shows and that is Sidekicks by Dan Santa, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which was so delightful. Wasn't it awesome? Um, I loved it so much. Uh, for parents out there, if you're looking for a new book to pick up for your kids, Sidekicks is it. It's about a guy who, um, a superhero who has super pets, and those super pets stay at home after an incident left him, you know, worrying about the welfare of his pets but this this the hero is getting older and his pets want to help him out so they audition to be his sidekicks um and it's a really endearing story loved it uh, i definitely think everyone could benefit from checking this out whether you have kids or not it's a great all ages book um, I read a book called The Reason for Dragons, which is Chris North Northrop and uh, Jeff Stokely, which was wonderful. Um, it kind of reminded me of I Kill Giants a bit. Uh, it's a little mm. boy, co- well, not a little boy, a teenager kind of coping with, um, you know, his family being split up and uh, being bullied and that sort of thing. And he comes across... Um, a sort of haunted Renaissance fairground, and he finds a medieval knight in those fairgrounds. And um, this medieval knight believes that there's a dragon on the loose. And, uh, you know, this this kid starts kind of wandering around with this dude, uh, not believing his stories. And um, a, a really endearing thing, things happen from there um endearing being the word of the night uh it was a wonderful read jeff stokely is an amazing amazing artist um he also did like i believe six gun gorilla um and he did one of the uh, jim henson books the the what are they called right now the storyteller books yes yeah um i think he did the second or third one (laughs) Um, so he's an amazing artist and you are going to want to look out for him in the coming years. I believe he was nominated for an Eisner this year or maybe a Harvey or maybe both. Um, maybe a Harvey Eisner. A Harvey Eisner. <laughs> yeah. It's a different it was, award. It was really great. So those are some of the things I've been reading. Nice. Awesome. Oh, can I, can I quickly, quickly say to like, Breaking the rules. I know, but this isn't about comics a rebel. per se. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't get to be on the show last week, but... Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Skeleton Crew 
Um, so they are uh, a group of people that do like, if you've ever seen like Joe Hill or Gabriel Rodriguez tweet about the replica keys mm-hmm. that get made for IDW and whatever, these are the, this is the team that makes those keys. Um, so I was having like this seriously god awful week. I won't go into that, but um, I got this package in the mail and it was from Israel Skellington. 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 Um, and it was like a whole bunch of stuff from them. And oh. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like the head key, the new edition of the head key from Locking Key. I got a shield from Mouse Guard, which had so cool. It even has like battle damage on it and stuff. Very cool. Uh, I got like something from Chew. I got um, the from BPRD. I got. Um, Oh, a really cool thing from that. <laughs> um, and I got a mouse guard plush too. And I just like, I was just like having this horrible week at this package just showed up. And I was like, this is so nice. <laughs> um, but seriously, I mean, people often talk about like hot toys and sidekicks or not sidekicks, um, sideshow uh, for being, you know, these top notch uh, replica creators for nerd stuff, but if you haven't heard of Skeleton Crew, you guys need to go check them out because they are making some of the best stuff out there. They're really selective with what they do, um, but they do like Lock and Key, Mouse Guard, BPRD, Hellboy, Chew, The Step of Legend, and I believe um, Temple, anything Temple Smith. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout out to them because they seriously made my week like considerably less awful last week so i know i was breaking rules but it was <laughs> incredibly nice and their website is skeleton crew studio so it's s-k-e-l-t-o-n crew studio.com so go check that out hmm, cool all right steve you ready yeah lightning round time three minutes on the clock go for any of you that are a fan of Nightcrawler, hello, Bob. Uh, that's me. You'll know that uh, Mr. Chris, uh, start over. Chris Claremont has been writing uh, this just absolutely spectacular Nightcrawler run uh, for Marvel Comics. And I sat down to catch up. This was very much this past week, a organization and catch up week for me. So I wound up going through Nightcrawlers 8 through 10. And I'm just still absolutely loving uh, this series. I didn't know what to expect from it. I've never really gotten to spend too much time with Nightcrawler. And what you have in these issues is kind of this like continuing uh, memoriam of the Wolverine character and his friendship with Kurt and just how much he meant to him and all of the lessons that he kind of passed down to him in his first days with the X-Men. And so the uh, story arc in this is that the Shadow King has come back and Kurt and the X-Men are basically squaring off against him. And Kurt is left um, basically going doing battle against all of his X-Men friends. And while recalling like the old days of being in the danger room, there's this like long battle that spans at least two of the issues where Kurt is having to use everybody's abilities against them to win the fight. And it just struck me as something that like maybe like only Chris Claremont can write this and write it so well and know the powers and the abilities and make it all work 
and still tell a really compelling story and just a, a crazy, crazy battle sequence. Like for all the times that I've been tired of heroes fighting heroes, this was one of those instances where it was really engaging and heartwarming and went to places that I didn't expect it to go. So really enjoying this book. Apparently, it's only going to be around for two more issues. If you haven't been reading it, definitely catch up with it uh, when it's all collected. And my other lightning round book, I'm going to try to do this really quick, is Uncanny X-Men number 30 uh, by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Chris Spocciolo. If anybody's listening to the podcast and is currently like up to date with X-Men, please reach out to me on Twitter um, and talk to me about this because there is some major stuff going on in this book that no one seems to be talking about and i want to know what the deal is i don't know if this is just comic book stuff that i don't understand but we're bringing players that have not been in the game back you know the x-men timeline with three teams running around is very wibbly wobbly right now and there's one x x-men who is kind of doing things that she should not be doing using her powers to go into the past and give warnings to those who might have to deal with, you know, the repercussions of the future. Um, it's all I'm going to say, but it's really super compelling stuff. And like I said, there's something going on in this book that I need to talk to people about. So if you're listening, yeah, get in touch. All right. And hmm. thanks. Three minutes. <laughs> hmm. Bam. <laughs> going into the past. But yeah, Uncanny X-Men is super good. But yeah, there, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, I can't say anything because I don't want to ruin right. anything for anybody, but... I'm like, is this like Secret Wars stuff? Is is oh, this well. is this something that I'm not supposed to be? Well, it's like, probably all leading to that at this point. Oh, yeah, but, but it's it's clever and it's good. <laughs> I like it. Um, I'm glad you're loving Nightcrawler. It, oh, it's it, wonderful. It's, yeah, it's wonderful. It just didn't get enough attention. It's opened well. Yeah, and is you know yeah coalesced down into the faithful of mm-hmm. the, from the old days. Yeah. But it's just so heartwarming. That's yeah. the perfect word to use. The interactions with the other characters. There's there's a big moment in this one too where, I, yeah, people should read. It. <laughs> I love I love that this is my introduction to the Nightcrawler character because it's always something that I've he's someone I've wanted to know more about outside of the X Men mm-hmm. arcade game. Mm-hmm. Um, how cool he can be, and just never knew what story to to jump into yeah. to really showcase him very much. And and this wound up being my story. And uh, I just think it's great. Well, let me throw this out there for you. Whatever sure. it's, but without going back into having to read all the Cockrum, Claremont, and then Claremont Byrne X-Men, try the Claremont and Alan Davis Excalibur. Okay. All right. All right. Shameless plug for Excalibur. Say, yeah, because you get yeah. all your your profits you get from the Excalibur, yeah, yeah. Excalibur <laughs> Bob. Um, all right, Bob, you ready for the lightning round? Sure. And three minutes on the clock. Go. I'll start with Thor number four, and in the spirit of the just-completed Super Bowl, Jason Aaron completes a really lovely handoff between characters here. Just really well done. It's a shame these Seahawks didn't do the same. Uh, <laughs> Avengers, Avengers 29. Look, we get a one-panel mention of the demise of one of the greatest comic book characters ever created. I guess time's running out. <laughs> Invaders number 14. Meanwhile, over here in Invaders... James Robinson and Steve Pugh continue to craft this really great long-form story about the best of superhero interaction and the brotherhood of these characters, even as it's changed. This is the return of Toro, uh, the Human Torch's old partner. Then there's Harley Quinn 14. I need to actually look at my notes here. Harley has a really, really bad day. Her hot water heater breaks in the apartment building. She's late to work. She fouls up a date with a new guy, misses her roller derby game, 
and clobbers the wrong guy with a pipe wrench while skateboarding down the Coney Island boardwalk. Just like your day, only a little worse. <laughs> Bitch Planet number two. Uh, in, yeah. the, in the wake of the events that closed the last issue, which were really pretty shocking, the powers that be have decided they need to focus on, on Cam Kogo, and they offer her an opportunity that might make her life easier, but might not. We'll mm. have to wait for issue number three. Beyond that, I also we got into the Dropbox for the first time ever. I took a look at Death Vigil number six by Stepan Sheich. Are we close? No idea to say his name. Okay. We're, we're Future close. Rat Queens artist. Right, that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, but it's not spelled it's not, that way. It, okay. It's not yeah. spelled as it sounds or sounds as it's spelled. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the art is really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. I picked up the story fairly quickly, and I think there's no trade yet. There will be, but I would definitely be interested in picking up. It's a supernatural superhero kind of thing. Interesting cast, lots of backstory that I'm not getting. I don't even know if it's in who's, the other issues. Whose book is that, or what? Wait, who puts it out? Uh, it's Image. It's Image, it's yeah. Top, okay. top Cow Through Image. Yeah. And I'm going to try to pick up Sunstone, which is apparently a sort of grown-up kind of book, but the art was just so spectacular that I really want to get a look at it. So cool. for all those people yelling about Death Vigil, I should pick it up. I have, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things. When I did uh, Comics and Coffee this week, uh, Nikki and I talked about it for a couple of minutes, and she just said it was amazing as well. So it's definitely something I'm going to check out. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Her and her friend Gang recommended it to me at the Snail last week, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, it's something along and I, with the Marvel swimsuit edition from the nineties. Oh, jeez, I, I feel so badly that you saw that. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like I said, it's it's the opposite relationship, right? Where people are saying, "Oh, you made you turned us on to all these books." This is definitely one that I think the community has turned us on to. Yeah, um, which I think is great. Which I think is really, really great. Um, anything else, Bob? No, I'm done. All right. Uh, I know there's a few books probably that you mentioned that people want to hop on real quick and talk about. I know. Um, I want to mention some things about Thor really quick. Um. Before we, uh, you know, uh, before we move on, uh, I really liked. It. I think the art is gorgeous. I think unbelievable art. Uh, I'm at the point right now where I'm not bothered by it in this issue, but if the next issue doesn't di- start to divulge who she is, I'm going to start to get a little bit annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's right on that precipice for me because I like what they've been doing so far. You know, kind of making it this this about the about the per- Thor persona and keeping the mystery. But now that she's really kind of officially taken the title, if you hold it back any longer, it starts to feel artificial to me. Obviously, it's all artificial because it's a story. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, up to this point, it's felt like she's in the middle of an adventure, so we w- we're not seeing the the other version of her, right? Um, and the only thing we're getting her into our monologue, she's just not saying her own name, you know. So, uh, but now we're going to get to normal. Seems like normal goings on, as normal as Thor goings ons can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's time to divulge who she is. Agreed. Because if they don't, I'm gonna I'm gonna start to get antsy about it. What if that's the end of this first arc? Like that's the last page where we we the, find the out. arc coming up now. Next? This this one that's happening right now. Like let's say it's the end of issue six. Well, that I mean that'd be okay. I mean this feels like an end of an arc to me though. Like, yes. These four issues feel like the end of something to me. Okay. They closed off the loop with with uh, the Roxxon stuff and everything. I mean, obviously, it's modern time, so trades are not going to be four issues long. But right. I, I, you know, I feel like, but who knows? Because Marvel does some weird things with or putting their books in whatever orders in their mm-hmm. trades. But Thor annual number, whatever. Exactly. That might end yeah. up being in this collection. You know. Uh, so who knows? But this feels like an end of an arc to me. If they start the new arc and they hide it more, 
then I know I'm going to start to feel annoyed. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking at volume one right now, and it's vol- uh, volume one is one through six. Oh, it is one through six. Okay. Yeah. So if it, if it ends with the end of the arc, then I'll be okay with that, as long as it doesn't go past an arc. There's probably a one-shot, though, so yeah. I would think that it would be issue five that yeah. would wrap up the arc. Yeah. Like, I have no idea where this is going to go, but if, if Thor is... is if she's being recognized, mm. you know, widely as the new Thor and people step forward to then meet her, I would think that it's going to have to come out. Yeah. But I mean, I think that Russell Dowderman has really shown himself in these issues. I mean, there's some crazy, huge stuff going on yeah. here and it all looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I love the way he draws Thor, both of them. Uh, the, the monsters look great. All of it, you know, the sense of scale is, Mm-hmm. is perfect fight choreography amazing yeah i i think it, it it's it's something like, special i have a couple of like nitpicks with it like i am enjoying it for the most part outside of obviously how it was announced <laughs> um but like to me if she's thor you know like why does she transform back and lose her powers you know i know that they're placing um they're saying that if she wields the hammer um the hammer is what gives her the powers of the goddess but to me like you know she's already worthy of the hammer she's like why would she transform back unwillingly um well, it, i mean it, it has it has precedent it feels, it, yeah. she's supposed to be the goddess of thunder but she automatically doesn't become the goddess of thunder if she loses the hammer that, that just seems weird to me like thor is thor no matter what but without her hammer she's not thor well, yeah, I mean, but, but, so, like, but, but, but it goes back to the start of the series. Don mm-hmm. Blake picked up uh, a, a cane in a cave and slammed it on the ground and picked up the hammer with that inscription on it. If he was without the hammer for 60 seconds, he reverted to Don Blake. Yeah. And eventually in the stories, Stan and Jack made Don Blake into the character that Odin had created to house the Thor persona, but he had to prove himself worthy again. If the actual through the ages holder of that hammer is Odin's son. Mm. She is the Don Blake at this point. So in essence, she can wield the powers, but she is not yet. Right. She's not an Asgardian. Yeah. 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 Right. We, so I think that does point in that direction. Yeah. So I think what will happen is somewhere down the road, if she continues to wield it, she'll be welcomed. Yeah. As, Thor's mom does here. Right, yeah. So I think it'll happen, but for right now, he's he's calling back to the very early days of Marvel Comics. Yeah. We really need the music from that PSA that's the more you know. <laughs> Whenever yeah. Bob talks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what else, Stephanie? Um, Like, I don't know. There's just like tiny things too, and I guess it's inherent on who the character winds up being, but I don't know. Like, I just don't like seeing my women in stories written to be you know, Thor is talking about how um, uh, he's like, oh, the hammer has chosen someone else. And she's like, oh, I just want to hug him. And I'm like, if this was me, I'd be like, man up and get over it. You're not worthy of it. Make yourself worthy of it. I don't want to hug you. I want to see you actually not be a whiner. But she's like, oh, I want to I just want to hold him and kiss him better. And blah, blah, blah. And like, it irks me a little bit. Like, she's strong. I see that. And then there's like these little moments when I'm just like, why would you coddle him? Like, just 
be well, a she's warrior. Not, she's, she's not you. <laughs> yeah. I, but but this, I'm not saying she has to be callous, but at the same time, you know, like it irks me that she's kind of just coddling him. Like he is not worthy of the hammer and, you know, just slap him and be like, figure it out. This isn't my problem. It chose me. End of story. I well, mean, she kind of does say that to him. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, know? I didn't get that that impression. I didn't yeah. read it that way, um, yeah. the way that you interpreted it, Steph. I just, I feel like she maybe is taken aback by who she's involved in. I get the, I get the impression that because she's being depowered and stuff like that, that not that she's an imposter, but that perhaps there's there's magics at work that she's really not supposed to be in the position that she's in but she's she's owning it as she's in it does that make sense yeah no i mean uh, for me it's like something someone who kind of stepped into this role and you know we obviously don't know how she came yeah you know, she said the hammer called to her and mm-hmm. that she that's why she went to it um, but we don't know. Obviously, we also don't know who she is to Thor yet, right? And I think seventy, you kind of alluded yeah. that at the beginning of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Because if she's Thor's daughter or Thor's friend, then I think there there's probably it, there's a different interpretation, right, mm-hmm. of what's of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, in that it's scene. very specific nitpick. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I don't like the idea of her like coddling him through this. I mean, again, it does depend, but I just kind of want to see her, you know like help him i mean eventually obviously thor is going to be worthy again we all know that's Mm. coming um but like i'd rather her be the one that was like man up and figure this out you got yourself into this situation you can get yourself out of this situation as opposed to this person that like holds his hand she we know that she's not his mother right so like you know just i want to see I, I want to see her act like the warrior that we're being shown. And yeah, well, not like Talus. Just, I, I just, you know, I want her to step up. Well, I think, but Can, I think it's kind of the story's about though, yeah. in a lot of ways, because she's not a warrior yet. Right. Right. She's, she's becoming this, this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what she was before. If, if, if she was just a, a regular person, if she was, you know, an, another hero that we're, we don't know yet, but right. she hasn't been Thor before, right? Mm-hmm. And this is still Thor. He's still, like, one of the greatest heroes of the entire world. So I think mm-hmm. that there's going to be some sort of... There's got to be growing into the role, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to point this out. I don't know I don't know if this applies, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to mm-hmm. take anything away from what Steph said, but um, the, the line about... I mean, I, I could read it... Um, says uh he's so sad i hate to see him like this i just want to hug him do superheroes hug each other it's a thought bubble she doesn't actually like she's not actually coddling him out like outside well, he was saying it was a thought bubble. okay okay yeah, yeah. all right I didn't to me it's part. something but to me it sounds like something that like spider-man would say mm-hmm. that's what it reminded me of reading that line yeah. it reminded me like a spider-man line when but I read to me it. like if you said if spider-man was to say it it would kind of be like funny and like teasy right mm-hmm. uh, let's say for instance don't we don't, I mean, we don't not, know what if that's well, no, of course it's a it's just yeah. a conversation. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's just a nitpick. Like yeah. it's it's little things like that that just take me out of the story. And I know whoever's going to be revealed because you, the list is getting narrowed down. Yeah. Um, pretty quickly. Um, there's only a few people left that it could possibly be. Uh, but I don't know. It's just it's it's just small things like that that I wish 
just I don't know. No. If they bother you, they bother you. You're, I, I you're like not wrong. Yeah, like you're allowed to not overall. like every aspect of, of the I book. I do like the book overall. I yeah. just want to say that. I just, there's these little things. Right. It's like not liking the skirts in Gotham Academy. <laughs> you love Gotham Academy, but you can't stand the skirts. I can't. <laughs> it drives me insane. I got things like that yeah. about books, too. Well, Seventy, I think that your opinions on Thor make you very non-compliant. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think we'll just send you to Bitch Planet. Um, we'll own Bitch Planet. <laughs> uh, you know, um, Bob obviously mentioned it. I know yeah. that I, I know that Steve and Stephanie both kind of had, they wanted to yeah. talk about it a little bit. Um, what did you think of the second issue, Steve? I really enjoyed it. Um, as much as I enjoyed the first issue, I really, really enjoyed the second issue a lot more. Um, just because I, I now have a little bit more of an idea as to where this is headed and what we're doing. Um, obviously the first issue was very introductory. These are your girls. These are, you know, where we are. And this is kind of the infrastructure and political system that they're dealing with, dealing with. Um, but now we kind of get the, like a mission, like the scope of what's going to be going on. And I have a thing where I really enjoy, like I liked Oz a lot. Um, Shawshank Redemption is one of my very favorite movies. I would never want to go to prison. I would probably rather be dead than go to prison. But I always find prison stories to be very fascinating and very much in the communal aspect. Um, Orange is the New Black is another Mm -hmm. one that I I enjoy watching because I like watching the little uh, the groups as they form and, and who, you know, forges alliances with who. And there's this scene in Bitch Planet number two where they're they're kind of like in the inside the yard and they're doing their their daily exercises. Mm-hmm. I won't even talk about what's happening in the background because oh my god, I was dying of laughter with with what was happening. But I loved the discussions and the different people kind of running up next to Kogo and being like, you know, this opportunity that you've been been given, you need to do it because they're coming to you and you are now part of us and we have a plan and you need to be down with it because mm-hmm. they, they trust you. They want you. They don't want us, but we want you. Right. And I like the idea of her not just being a badass, but now she's, she's like queen bee or responsible. Mm-hmm. She now has this weight on her shoulders on top of dealing with this new environment. Right. Um, and I think the technology being used, uh, is very cool because it's so, cold and 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 so just this is this is your life now Mm. this is the way it is and you are they it it degrades you Mm. you know like prison is supposed to be where you learn about your mistakes part of it anyway and their whole system is designed just to keep you down yeah and the the whole confessional yeah yeah (laughs) and it's it's just it's very fascinating for me i like that it's been broadened and opened up for me in that I really enjoyed the first one, but this this issue killed it for me. It would have been my book of the week if, if I didn't see it on Bob's list. I really loved it. Uh, Stephanie, do you want to say some stuff about it? Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was a really great continuation of the story. Um, I know when Kelly Sue was in town, and I'm not sure I mentioned this when uh, we talked about the first issue, but she said that it took a really drastic turn from her initial vision of what Bitch Planet was going to be. Um, and I think it initially, if I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong. Um, she said it was going to be more of a satire, you know, uh, and that was the impression I got at Image Expo where it was, um, going to be kind of a statement 
on exploitation films and all sorts of stuff like that. And she said it took a really different turn when she started writing it and became more of a statement. And I, I just love it. It just feels so different from anything she's done before, but so also distinctly Kelly Sue. Um, you see her tweet about and talk about uh, her passion for the industry and you, you she's this delightful woman but then you see this side of Kelly Sue where it's just like I am not taking shit from you and it really shows in this book in the best possible way um, that women kick ass and even when the man trying to get us down um, <laughs> you know we will fight back mm. and I thought that it was a really great second issue that left me wanting more. And obviously, when you read comics episodically and monthly, that is exactly what you would want to do. Yeah. You know, for me, the first issue, uh, it left me kind of cold. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't grabbed by it, but uh, I I trust her as a writer. So I got the second issue and the second issue for me was better in every way. Uh, for me, I thought the, I, I, I liked uh, the design of the book, the art and the panel layouts more. Uh, and I also thought that for me, it struck a better balance of story and statement uh, for me. So I, I was still getting, you know, the, the statement piece, but I was also getting some really good plot developments and character developments and some really great i mean the the visual kind of joke that steve was saying about with the the running and what's going on in the background mm-hmm. i think it's just great it's just so much so so much confidence and patience in, in in what you're doing that you don't get from a lot of writers and artists which i think is is just very cool uh and so i thought overall it, it, it did make me want to read the third one uh whereas i was on the fence after the first one so mm-hmm. I, i'm excited to, to read what, what comes next absolutely uh, speaking of what comes next yeah my what lightning your, round. What are your, your my lightning, lightning round? Books, comes next. All right, my lightning round and go. Uh, Colder, the bad seed, number four. Uh, Paul Tobin and Juan Ferreira. A really, really great horror series. The first volume of this was awesome, um, and this one continues to be really great. Really spooky. Really crazy imagery. It's just, it's just awesome. If you like horror stuff, you should definitely be reading Colder. Um, Uncanny Avengers, number one. Uh, Rick Remender and Daniel Acuna. So uh, I'd fallen very much behind on, on Uncanny Avengers, and this was a new number one spinning out of Axis and everything that happened. Changed up the team a lot, obviously, because a lot of stuff has happened, so the original team is very tough to keep going. Uh, I found it pretty easy to jump in on this after being way, way, way behind. I mean, as easy as any Rick Remender book it is to jump in on. It's very complicated, very, in, very dense, but... Uh, the art is gorgeous, and I liked kind of the crazy story aspect of it. it. Again, it felt sort of like more of that uncanny X Force type of feel to it. So, I really, really liked that a lot. Um, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time talking about uh, Batman number 38. <laughs> so, uh, this is Endgame Part Four, and what we've seen in Endgame so far has been this development and return of the Joker character, kind of basically <clears throat> performing not necessarily the most Joker-like thing, right? Th- this his whole his whole idea in this is I reached out to you in death of the family and you, you know, you spurned me. So like a spurned lover, I'm going to come back with a vengeance and he's come back and he's basically now out to, he says to kill Batman is basically what, what he's out to do. And he's basically, you know, it's almost like a zombie apocalypse, the, the city of Gotham with his, this new Joker toxin and Batman is completely back into a corner. He doesn't know what to do. And they've introduced almost like this, 
this they've proposed this new origin for the Joker, which is very un Batman like, very crazy, very much going against what we've we've seen in, in previous books. Whether or not that's true, I don't know, but it's definitely very cool. And there's even a, a really good line in the book where it even says, like, someone says, doesn't feel like a Batman story anymore, does <laughs> it? You know, there's someone that actually says that in the book, which I think mm-hmm. is amazing. <clears throat> but the end, the last page of the book, is really surprising. Did not see it coming. And it really, really feels like Snyder is starting to bring the story that he's been telling for three years yeah. full circle which is really rewarding, but also terrifying because I feel like it's coming. To, we're going to be getting to the end of this run pretty soon, and it was a great moment. The end. It 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 makes me very excited to see what comes next. And I think that, um, well, I enjoyed Zero Year and it was very very good. I feel like Endgame is has gotten Batman back to the point where I was just obsessed with it a, yeah. a few years ago. Uh, really amazing stuff. I I can't wait to see what happens. Greg Capullo, of course, is knocking out of the park it just gets better and better and better every every single time um the colors the action the the emotion on the faces everything about it is just really fantastic yeah so steve did you want to say anything about batman i know you said you wanted to (laughs) uh no i'm i'm good (laughs) i uh i just i really enjoyed it a lot like you said it's it's exciting it's exciting stuff it definitely does feel like Snyder is is you know like the cast of of this just giant production and 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 almost like a like a play that he's been putting on since he's been issue number one to thirty eight that everybody's kind of backstage prepping for the final act yeah after this like this is not the final one but mm-hmm. the one after this could definitely be you know the end of of his run and um I think what he's proposed with the Joker character without going to spoilers is actually quite genius and I, I'm really, really digging it. Like I've kind of been uh pawing over it for the last couple of days since I've read it. And the more I think about it, the more uh I think it's just a lot of fun. I like writers who present new ideas and put new spins on characters that really make you rethink the character. Um, particularly their history. And even though we're playing with they rebooted in the new fifty two and blah 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 you can't help but have those old stories in your head and kind of apply the new mythos to those. Mm-hmm. And just, I liked sitting there going like, well, yeah, like that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense because there, there were no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no coming back from that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just, I'm having fun with it. You know, some people will, will be, Oh, that's ridiculous. I think it's fun. Yeah. So, um, sorry, Steph, go ahead. I, I haven't read Batman yet, but I, I I just wanted to kind of touch on um, Convergence since I picked up previews last week. And I don't know if, like, I don't think I was on the show when Convergence um, got announced. And you no, guys I don't think so it. either. Yeah. Um, so I don't recall exactly what you guys went over, but uh, the previews got me, like, Guys, I am actually excited for an event. I know. I know. Like, (laughs) hell is currently freezing over. Um, But with DC, with this event, you know, Convergence is separate. Like, it's like issue one, two, three, four, Convergence. Cool. It's not interrupting my shit. Cool. They're interrupting every book. Yeah. Yeah. Every book is done during Convergence because of the move. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) Um, But I don't know if you guys noticed, but 
Batgirl number one. Their Batgirl is Stephanie Brown, Cass Kane, and Tim Drake, like yep. pre New Fifty Two. And then they have Catwoman. They have Catwoman, fully clothed Catwoman. Like, do you guys even understand how down with that I am? I'm like, what clothes? What? What? Oh my god! Only her nose and chin are showing, and her eyeballs. What? Who approved this? <laughs> and then they have Detective Comics, and you know, at first you're like, oh, great, more Batman. No, it's Huntress. It's Huntress Detective Comics. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am so on board. Uh, the question by Greg Rucka. Um, hello, Supergirl with like 80s headband. Um, <laughs> this series, I, I'm going to spend so much money on DC come April. And I am all kinds of okay with it because yes. Yeah, I mean, Bob, we were talking about this before the show, and the only thing that I think we're kind of worried about is, not worried about, but the, the sad part about it is they're going to bring these books back for this these two months or whatever, and then, you know, Cass Cain and all this, Stephanie Brown is back, or it's just going to go away again, you know, and we don't know if it's any of it's going to stick. Um, but yeah, I know there's a lot of cool things that they announced. Yeah. Um, which we're going to say we've got an yeah. Oracle Dick Grayson book. Oh, yeah. yes. But, yeah. <laughs> but again, unless one of them sells like mad. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've talked about it from day one. I'd love there to be an old 13 to go with the new 52. Yeah. And maybe some of these books will yeah. create enough of a furor in some of the new thought processes and mm. the book I'll be talking about later and mm. what's happening with Catwoman and, mm-hmm. and, and Batgirl that maybe someone over there says, you know, this is just, these were showcase books to see what might stick. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, Bob, have you, it's only rumor, I think it broke either today or yesterday, that the script for the planned, I guess, TNT is putting on a Titan show that oh, um, yeah. Oracle might be making a and return. It's, and it's Barbara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me much happier than them trying to do the Birds of Prey and Arrow. Because <laughs> you can't have that without it being Barbara Gordon. Right. And in the Titan script, from what I've read, they will mention Batgirl. Mm-hmm. That she had a past as a, as a hero before. Nice. That's so cool. I'm very happy about that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only thing I'd, I'd say is that this Convergence stuff and the multiversity stuff, which I'll be talking about yeah. later, it seems like DC is now open to the existence of these pr- previous mm-hmm. characters now, so maybe that'll mean some of them leak back into the to the regular universe. But or it's leave them in their own universe. Well, yeah, whatever, just, but yeah, I'm saying right, yeah. regular publishing. Right. But Stephanie, it's very, it's very exciting to hear you interested in an event. I know. I was completely shocked, but <laughs> like, I spent um, the like Wednesday last week, Nikki was there and a few other people. And um, I was looking through previews and I was like, ah! I was like holding up previews when I saw the Steph Brown book. And I was like, ah! <laughs> Nikki's like, what? And I was like, oh, 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 oh. And she's like, Cass Kane. And we're like feverishly looking yeah. through. We're like, this is like cocaine. <laughs> like, we're so excited. And my friend, uh, my friend came over last week, Nyron, and he was like, no, I'm not into events. I'm not into events. I'm not into events. And I like was like, but look, he's like, no, no. And I'm like, but Batgirl. And he's like, no, no. I'm like, but this, and he's like, no, no, and then like, um, the Justice League stuff, and he's like, oh, and then he's like, the Flash, oh, he's like, Steph, I hate you so much. I have twins that I need to feed. He's like, don't show me this stuff. He's like, I've just gotten out of single issues, and I'm like, you're welcome. Here's uh, the thing, I'm I'm still not into the events. I'm gonna buy more of these DC books than Marvel books mm-hmm. in in the same period. I'm not reading them for events. I'm reading them for characters yeah. I love, written by people yeah. whose work I appreciate, whether it's Paul Levitz or mm-hmm. Gail Simone, Greg Rucka. Yeah. 
And that's what I'm here for. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm following I creators mean, and characters like, here. In, yeah. in just Marv a Wolfman's way. doing a book, Len Wein. Right. Yeah. Oh. So good. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. It's very, it's very, very smart of them. Um, all right. So let's go into our book of the week. Steve. I forgot what I was going to talk about. I'm thinking about convergence. I think you're going to talk about birthright. I am going to talk about birthright. It's going to be a very brief talk. <laughs> Holy hell. Um, yeah, I mentioned it earlier, catching up on stuff this week. And um, I went like weeks without being able to get my, my hands on birthright number three. I We had a shipping error over at the shop and it just never showed up. And so I had to seek it out elsewhere. And then number four came out and la-di-da. Uh, it was time to catch up. For those of you that have been uh, or listened to our interview with uh, Joshua Williamson from a couple weeks back, uh, Birthright is one of his, is actually his newest book that he has out. And oh my God, it's, again, I said this earlier, I'll say it again. It's a book that is going in directions that I did not expect it to go. And much like when we were talking about um, Ivar Timewalker last week, I have yet another main character that I don't know if I can trust. And I really, really, really dig that. Um, For people that don't know what Birthright is about, uh, it's about a young boy who is basically playing with his father and uh, goes to retrieve a ball from being thrown into the woods and winds up uh, wrapped in this giant, almost like Lord of the Rings fantasy style world. Um, They say, hey, look, you know, you're the chosen one. You're the hero. And you need to come with us right now. And he's like, well, I got to go back to my dad. He's going to be worried. And like that world is not important and doesn't exist anymore. This is now your world. And essentially, the family gets notified a year later uh, that there's this grown man in like battle armor carrying weapons that is now down at the police precinct uh, claiming to be their son. Uh, he has also brought a piece of that world that he got taken uh taken away uh they took him away he's brought that back with him into our world and now you have kind of this like otherworldly warrior come back from the dead and this family story of the bond between father and son and just you know your own child you're dedicated to that child you want nothing but to keep them safe that without really questioning where he's been or what he's doing or what his mission is they're kind of helping him along in in his quest. And the thing of it is, is that you don't really know the end game. He tells you what it what it's supposed to be, but as the reader being in on certain things, you know that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And it's this really interesting story of watching this, you know, crazy battle dude bringing these innocent people into these terrible life-threatening situations they're doing it for love and he he could possibly be doing it for nefarious reasons and taking this love and completely twisting it around on them and using them to for his own means um and there's just there's a lot of layers to it if you're into like family dynamics um especially father son stuff and you know bonds between family and stuff like that for somebody to come back and take advantage of that love and those bonds um, and pretty much threaten the entire human race um, by, you know, in conjunction with that. It's a pretty epic story. Um, the art for it is, uh, I don't want to shortchange the artist because the art for this book is absolutely spectacular. Uh, it's Andre Bresson uh, for creator and artist and uh, Andreno Lucas for colors. 
um, super, super spectacular. There's even a little bit of like almost animal man kind of stuff in it between the, the relationship of the broken family with the wife and the father. Um, the father was accused of having killed the son before he obviously showed up in the precinct and so on. Um, but yeah, uh, really happy to have caught up with it. And just another outstanding title from Joshua Williamson proving that he's definitely somebody to watch uh, in the industry today because he's just churning out amazing stories. Yeah. I know he was really nervous about this one. And uh, where's the next one that he's... Yeah, he's... Yeah. He's All right, well, he's probably nervous about both. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the first issue, I believe, sold out and went to reprint a couple of times. And if you're, you know, if you're waiting for trade, that's cool. But, you know, we've said it a couple of times on this podcast. If you enjoy books that you're reading, you really enjoy them, make sure you buy the singles too, because that's what keeps them around. Um, so this is definitely something that even though I had to catch up on it, I will buy, you know, every issue just to, to make sure that I support this book. Cool. It's awesome. 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 Uh, speaking of books that need to be supported, Bob. Yes. Why don't you talk a little bit about Gotham Academy? Yeah. Gotham Academy number four, uh, Becky Cloonan, Brendan Fletcher, Carl Kershaw, and definitely want to speak about the colors in this issue by Mizak and Serge Lapointe, because this is a really split issue in some ways. We got a lot of daylight and the usual darkness going on, but it, it, it plays off so well that you you really feel as this time has passed going page to page. Anyway, basically all roads for in the first reissue lead here to issue four. You get to see some of the secrets seemingly revealed, but not entirely. Uh, we get to hear still not all of the story of Olive Summer. We get to see what might be behind her wall or what's hiding in the North Hall, but not entirely. We're getting little bits and pieces as we go, and yet each time it's involving and intriguing you want to learn more but i don't want to learn too fast either i'm loving the journey we're taking here and the way this issue begins the last one ended on what seemed a cliffhanger olive's arm being grabbed by something from the pit with with that opened by the symbol and here we just open the middle of a daylight and they're going oh that wasn't this (laughs) and here we go it's just it's a lovely non-compressed way of telling Hmm. the story and yet it's quickly moving characterization is just great everyone in these stories i think it was mara in her review was saying she'd love to adopt maps as her little sister (laughs) and it's across the board and pomeline who we didn't care for much early on has now become someone i really am intrigued in Mm -hmm. The, the the storytelling acumen of this team has been great from just page one panel one for those who were waiting to see if this is going to be any good it is not good it is great Buy extra issues, give them to people who aren't into comics, who think comics yeah. are all superheroes or, or everything in Gotham is Batman or everything in DC is the new 52. This is and isn't. This is a book for every audience, young, old, boys, girls, you name it. Please mm-hmm. support Gotham Academy as best you can. Yeah. Um, I just want to send a quick shout out. Um, I did not set this up, but I wanted to thank everybody who uh, just this past week sent in their photos of them buying multiple copies mm-hmm of Gotham Academy, we were kind of putting the word out along with the creators to kind of help this book along. And a lot of you sent us photos or tweeted us stories of you picking up extras for your friends and stuff. And uh, just wanted to send out a huge thanks um, for participating in that. And we really hope that you enjoyed the book. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the book is interesting, right? Because I think that it does a few things really, really well. You know, it, 
it plays on uh, plots and tropes that we know very well, not from comics, but from movies of a certain generation, mm-hmm. right? The Pomeline thing especially, right? The Pomeline thing is going from kind of the uh, disliked, you know, I, I, I don't know how to best describe her character, yeah. you know, disliked, um, a, you know, a very acerbic, very, you know, very difficult to handle girl to being this person that you start to really care for uh, is a great, it's a great storytelling device and it 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 makes you mm-hmm. more apt to like the character because yeah. she comes from another place it's like the misunderstood bully right yeah, yeah. she has a nice little arc and it's only in three issues so yeah. far yeah and the great thing about maps is that she is that character that we all loved from that same kind of movie you know it's a it's not a copy of it but it's just using those tropes but the fact that you know her lack of fear for everything is is astounding you know but it's that lack of fear that only a certain kind of kid could have Mm -hmm. and i love that about it i love that she's just she'll run in front of all of any point you know to to go ahead and put her go ahead first into danger and i just love that about her the whole thing with the ghost is 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 great and it's funny and 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 it it really works really really well and i i just the issue's great the series has been great i I really really love it yeah 70 are you all caught up yeah i am um I love this book, and I went on a bit of a Twitter tirade last week about it because, you know, for everyone who's saying things like, oh, I miss the movement, oh, I miss this, oh, I miss that, like, it's partially your fault. And I'm sorry, not maybe you specifically, but for everyone who's not picking up these single issues, it's telling DC that we're taking a risk on this book and nobody wants it. Um, and this is such a great book, and we need more of it. Um, obviously, some of the smaller press, like Boom, is picking up the slack where DC and Marvel are lacking. But in order to encourage the big two to take more risks on these books, we say it all the time, but you need to keep buying these issues. Um, you know, there isn't, th- there's so few people that would not enjoy these books. I mean, they are very, very, very like Harry Potter. And how many millions of children grew up and loved Harry Potter? You know, it's really easy to find people that would enjoy this book. Um, And I think it's our responsibility to make sure that it gets in those people's hands if they're not doing it themselves. Um, We, it's so easy to kind of just recommend something like this to a friend. You see someone tweet, oh, I wish I could have, like, a Harry Potter book, like, a new Harry Potter book, and be like, well, you know, (laughs) J.K. Rowling may not currently be working on this, or maybe she is, I think she actually might be. Um, But in the meantime, Gotham Academy, have you heard of it? It's really easy to spread the word and um, just help people find comics that, you know, are gateway drugs, um, and this is definitely one of those things. The characters are relatable. The art is so easy to follow. It's beautiful. Um, and the story is just so much fun. I think these YA books are really a future for, you know, new generations. And uh, I part of the tag uh, people were sending us in photos uh, was because we asked people, um, and I'm so sorry, I think Lisa on Twitter, I forget what your Twitter handle is, 
Um, but she suggested that to help raise awareness of the book that we started a Twitter handle called like the GA uh, student body mm-hmm. and people posted photos with that hashtag of the book and Becky and Brendan and Carl jumped on the hashtag as well. Um, and that was because of Lisa, you know, uh, we posted the hashtag, but she came up with that great idea and all of you were capable of coming up with other great ideas to help spread the word. Um, and that was definitely one of them. Um, I haven't actually spoken much about the book itself, but uh, it's honestly just one of my favorites right now, and I look forward to it every single month. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's great, and I, I hope it does keep going, and I hope that it it, it gains it gains the traction that it definitely definitely deserves. Um, so that's uh, Gotham Academy one, well four, four. but one through four. Uh, we kind of talked about the whole series. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Stephanie, what do you got for book of the week for us? I'm sitting here going back and forth between the two things that I was, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I'll do this. And then I read another thing before I got on the show and I was like, oh, no, but now I want to talk about this. Um, so I'm currently torn up inside. Well, you got to make a choice. On the inside. Um, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to talk about this. So, uh, Ninth Generation number one, which is from Top Cow. I typically don't really read a lot of Top Cow stuff um, because it has a really distinctive look and feel to it that tends to not be up my alley. Um, I realize that's kind of stereotyping the books that come from Top Cow, but there's a specific type, and it's along the lines of Zetascope. Um, <laughs> boobies everywhere. Anyways, so uh, I read... There's today's show title. <laughs> Boobies everywhere. Uh, really. Yeah, great one for human uh, representation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Boobies everywhere. Representation. And yeah, Maria goes to share it with her colleagues. Yeah. <laughs> um, but It'll be our most downloaded show. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? Yeah. <laughs> Finally! Finally. <laughs> I've been waiting three years for this. And then they listen to him, and oh, they're still doing the same thing they always do. Um, so, like, all of these Top Cow books really tie into, it's a bit like Valiant. Like, the world is all interconnected. I mean, um, this book incorporates the Darkness, Witchblade, um, and a ton of other stuff, Artifacts, and Cyberforce, um, and then Aphrodite um, 9. And... There's a lot of backstory to all of these books, but um, in Ninth Generation number one, there this takes place in the future, and uh, there's no more death. Everything you can want is yours, and um, I, I believe most of the people are now like cyborgs. I, I could be wrong, uh, but it focuses on the people that rule over um, where all of these earthlings now live and um they are like gods so there's aphrodite there's apollo there's Ares, there's hades um and oh there's hephaestus as well um anyways and they are constantly at each other's throats trying to take each other's territories over Except for Aphrodite, because no one wants her territory up in the north. She lives, like, north of the wall, and nobody wants anything to do with that shit. Uh, <laughs> so, 
she kind of just is like neutral. So it's four on four. People are always switching sides and they are using the people in their district to wage useless wars. And Aphrodite finally steps in and is like, all right, guys, enough is enough. And they're like, you don't interfere. We don't want your land. Go back. Like, <laughs> no one wants this. And she's like, yeah, well, no one wants my shit. But you know what? I want you guys to stop, you know, bleeding all over the rest of the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, she interferes and uh, they're all like, back off, bitch. And she's like, fine, I'm going to go to our creator. Uh, like, you know, the one, the person that we answer to. And I'm going to, like, do something about this. Um, so they travel, her and Hephaestus travel up to space. 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 Um, and they discover that some bad stuff is actually happening up there. Really bad stuff. That involves, like, the darkness. And, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Because I've only ever played that video game. And nothing good happened in it. <laughs> um, so they're the only two, you know, like kicking around up there. And they're like, oh, man, we need to warn people because this is not great. Um, I don't want to give away the whole book, but it winds up tying in artifacts, witchblade, all this other stuff. Again, the darkness uh, to make this really interesting read. And I didn't find uh, that I needed a lot of previous knowledge of any of these uh books that have been around forever yeah they're really yeah. long-running books it's kind of um, crazy to jump in which surprised me um, i really read this on a whim because uh it's the the writing is by matt hawkins and the art is by that guy who's doing rat queens <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even going i seriously sat in bed for probably half an hour last night just trying to figure out how to say his name in my head it, I, and then I finally thought I figured it out. I was like, I bet you it's just Stefan. And then I realized that the J is after the T and not after the P. And I was like, nope, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but it's that guy who's doing Rat Queens now. And I just really, really, really love how he drew these characters. Sorry. That was the first thing in this book that uh, caught me. Uh, and I was going to stick with it even if the story was crappy just to kind of evaluate his work because I'm excited to see what he does with Rat Queens. Um, but the story really intrigued me and just, I, I'm huge into Greek mythology. So like page one, when they're like showing all the characters um, and their adaptations of them in the future, like these Greek gods and goddesses, I was like, page one, you have me. Page one, you know what's up. Um, and from there, it just... Uh, became a really interesting universe to me. I have no desire to go back and read everything else that came before this because that's like a million comics. But I'm definitely curious to check out what comes after this. Um, I believe probably issue two is actually out by now. Maybe it's not. Um, it came out, the digital release was on January 7th. And um, I want to read more. Cool. Awesome. So, you know, I had a... Trouble pronouncing it as well. So did Bob. Obviously, yes. We had we had someone on the forums when I did comics and coffee leave me the pronunciation phonetically, and I still don't know how to say it. It seems like it's uh, Stapon 
Sheik. Stepan Sheik. Yeah. He said like Sage, pronounced by Sean Connery. That's Sage. Stepan Sheik. Yes. I hear that. There you go. We're like. Death Vigil was the other book last week, obviously, that Nikki was talking about. Uh, So his art is coming up a lot for me. Yeah. Uh, It is amazing. I I really, really dug his style in this. Um, I'm curious to check out Death Vigil and obviously his work Mm. coming with uh, Curtis Beebe as well. Mm. So, yeah. And for the record, the other book, everyone, that I was going to talk about was a Valiant book. So, I mean, (laughs) Top Cow and Valiant were my books of the week. So, I know. And I'm, like, praising about events. Stephanie has been replaced. Yeah, it's Body Snatcher. I'm sorry. Maybe it's one of those Axis events. Yeah, exactly. You've been inverted. (laughs) You've been inverted. (laughs) It has changed the universe forever. It has. has. Um, All right. So, uh, what, ninth generation? Is yeah. that what it's called, Stephanie? Okay. Yeah. No. But it's like ninth. It's like uh, Roman numerals. Gotcha. Well, of course. Oh, All right. So um, my book of the week uh, is uh, the Multiversity Guidebook. Uh, this is obviously Grant Morrison, and uh, it's it's a million artists. But the main the main kind of matter the the stories um, are the arts by Marcus Toe and Paolo Sequeira, and you know when when. This book was announced, obviously, when they announced, they finally announced the final grouping of the books. One of them was a guidebook. And, I mean, I personally thought that it was going to be just kind of an outline uh, of things that were happening and maybe what the connections were. I didn't realize it was going to be a, a, a new story, something, obviously, a new story that's also very, very deeply tied to what is happening in the overall story that's happening on these one-shots. Um Above that, it I did not realize how in-depth it was going to go into what the universe actually was, you know? I didn't know how guidebook, this guidebook, w- was going to be. And, you know, for people who have been listening to us talk about multiversity, um, this kind of revisits more kind of what the first book it w- w- was, in some ways, the story, because it's more the joining of worlds, more kind of like neutral territory for characters um, fighting towards and trying to fight this... Um, this oncoming disaster that's happening in the world. It also heavily draws off of some of the events of Thunderworld as well that we saw there mm-hmm. with all the Savannas g- getting together. Uh, a bad group. Bad, bad group. <laughs> uh, it was pretty fascinating and engrossing. And, you know, we get to this point where these um, these more, I guess, educational aspects of the book to what's going on in the mul- in the multiverse is done in such an interesting way because... You know, throughout the whole series, they've had people reading comic books and looking at the comic books from the other worlds. But here, they use them as storytelling devices where one character in one world is looking at a comic book, and then you're in that world. And then they're looking at a comic book, yeah. and you go into that world. You know, you're diving. It's like Inception. You're diving deeper layer and layer and layers. And within this book, not only do we get a kind of an update on the overall health of the multiverse, but we also get Grant Morrison basically creating a narrative canon for the rebooted new 52 universe. You know, he goes through kind of all of the crises, you know, how everything was formed, but he does it from a, a macro perspective, right? So he's doing it from a, from a, above the DC, you know, DC universe above even all the multiverse in this kind of what he calls a God sphere or whatever that he calls it, or the sphere of the monitors, I yeah. guess is what it is. Um, and if you're confused, don't worry, you should be because it took 
a whole visual guide and a lot a lot of information yeah, to make me a lot understand of words it. in this issue um but basically you think of it like an egg right like the multiverse is a yolk and it has all of the you know all of the worlds in it but then there's layers outside of it that don't change you know the god sphere where you know where olympus is or where you know a dark side is all those things and then another sphere where the monitors are which are the like the beings that were at the start of the universe and they're constantly watching and shaping and changing and uh it goes through all of that and it basically gives you a narrative reason why the new 52 rebooted and the everything else still exists but there's all this different stuff that's piled on and everything like that and, and then he goes through and goes from world zero to world 51 with i think seven skipped there's seven secret worlds we don't know about yet but uh, you know there's was something like you know 44 worlds here that he describes in, in you know in short paragraphs but gives you a lot of detail and there's art for all of it that that's gorgeous and some of these earths i, w- I want to see stories from you know immediately uh it, it's really pretty awesome stuff i I, I was. It's really vital if you're reading Multiversity to pick it up and check it out because it it definitely sets up the the newest part of the Multiversity. Some great art, just really awesome, awesome stuff. I mean, yeah. Bob, what did you think uh, of it? I loved it, and I think many people will have put this behind them. They wouldn't have bothered picking. It's mm. a guidebook. I, yeah. uh, who cares? The story is very important. You're mm. getting the origin of some of the major characters yeah. and where they spring from. You get these little glimpses beyond in the guidebook part in the stories as we go through the the various crises and reboots Mm. and what it's all going to mean and how it all links together in a way that I wouldn't have expected going into this series. I figured we'd have a bunch of Mm one-shots. Here's this world and here's this and isn't this cute? Mm -hmm. No, he's tying it all together in a way that only Grant Morrison can do this in a way that uh, everything counts. So, uh, you know, as we've seen in the Hall of Heroes, there's Captain Carrot. And we go through here, well, now Bizarro's count. And we have the the fake Avengers from the other issues we saw. We're, we're delving into character after character after character from all parts of DC history and new ones he's making up. And I said to Bobby off the air, my one pang <laughs> was that within the story, we got to see the original Justice Society. Mm-hmm. And... There isn't a world yet for them. I have the funny feeling <laughs> something big is coming with those characters. I, I know he does love them because he's using them. So they're going to be here. But there's so many books in here of these 40-some-odd worlds that we get a glimpse of. I wouldn't mind if we kept multiversity going forever right. and giving everyone a shot at, okay, who wants to write this world? Who wants to write the world of the, the gender-swapped heroes? Who right. wants to write the bizarro heroes or mm-hmm. the the heroes who grew up in the 30s and their sons and daughters and so on and so forth. Yeah. I am I was happy when this was announced. I fell away. Some of my uh, anticipation for it drifted. Mm. And as soon as I just started reading the series and then this issue particularly tying it all together, just amazing. And next month... Oh, yeah. Next month, it's the Quality Heroes turn. Yeah. Which is... Pretty special for those of us old enough to remember such things when they crossed over with the Justice League in the old crises. And there's Uncle Sam and the Phantom Lady and the Human Bomb. Yep, the Ray. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the Condor. It's just going to be a lot of fun versus sort of the Nazi versions of the DC heroes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I guess in their universe, the 
you know, much like Red Sun, where it crashes in Russia, yeah. in this it crashes in Nazi-occupied Czechoslovakia. So Superman <laughs> is a Nazi in it. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited. But I mean, I gotta tell you, like I I think even if you're someone, obviously the the kind of narrative matter is gonna be it's gonna be kind of hard to parse if you're not reading the multiverse yeah. because it's it's really about it. But if you're someone who's just interested in like the the lore of the DC universe or what it means or how it all works out or where the characters you read in this book might relate to this book. Like if you like kingdom come, is that a world that exists mm-hmm. in the multiverse or is that just like a something else it's here, you know? And I think that if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, it's a really, really cool thing to read. And I think, I mean, I don't know this, but I think what's going on. The convergence is going to have is somehow going to be tied in with what, yes. what's happening here. I don't think maybe not directly narratively, but I think that these worlds and stuff you'll probably see show up in those other things. Ooh, let's hope so. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to our shared book of the week. If you guys are didn't tune in last week, um, we uh, shame on you. Yeah, shame on you. <laughs> but uh, we started a new feature called uh, our, our shared book of the week, and so um, each week one of us will pick a book for the other uh, the other three to read, and then we'll discuss it jointly. Uh, last week, obviously, we kind of jointly picked Ivar the Time Walker from Valiant. This week, I picked The Dying and the Dead uh, from Jonathan Hickman and uh, Ryden Ryden Ryan uh, Bodenheim with a uh, Colors by Michael Garland and letters by Russ Booten. Uh, and uh, next week, actually, is Stephanie's choice, so she'll be picking it, and then we'll go f- we'll go from there. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start the discussion since, since I picked mm. the book. I figured picking a Hickman book would be a good thing because it's a Hickman book, so there'd be a lot to talk about. <laughs> Usually, there's enough in one issue to talk about, you know, for multiple podcasts. So I thought it'd be a good a good jumping off point. And I think that uh, was very interesting to me about Dying in the Dead, which. People, we're not gonna get. We don't get the major spoilers with it or anything. But people who are are not uh, reading it, it's the story of a man who is basically called back into service, um, supernatural service. Uh, a man whose wife is dying, and he's offered a deal. He's offered a deal that these kind of more than earthly beings can give him his wife back if he performs this deed for them, and. He's obviously done something before because there's a lot of intonations about that, but it's basically you got to go on this mission and do it. It's sort of got a little bit of that Western vibe that East of West has, but it's also got I think more of a, a a grounded vibe than a lot of the Hickman stuff ends ends up having. And one of the things that surprised me the most about honestly, and we'll jump off from here, is that uh, it was surprisingly straightforward to me for a Jonathan Hickman yes. first issue, yeah. especially. <clears throat> there's obviously big stuff that's happening here and weird stuff that happens here. And th- some of the concepts are, 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 are dense, but as far as the actual events that happen from a to Z, I, I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, and I was, it's funny. I was reading it and I was like trying, I was reading it in like, you know, my brow furrowed ready, like digging, digging at it. And I was like, and I was going slowly. And then I was like, why are you, I was like, I understand all of this. Yeah. And then I just started relaxing and reading it. And I, I ended up really enjoying it as, as I went along. Uh, Stephanie, did you? what did you think of it? I pretty much enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, I, I think it was due to Hickman being able to space it out the way he did. I mean, it's like 60 pages. Yeah, it's a long book. Um, so, and Hickman, to me, is notoriously awful at first issues just because he builds these epic worlds that just take a lot of explaining to do. Lucy, you got some explaining to do. Um, but he he gets caught up in building this world in the first issue, and it's just overwhelming. Um, 
And he did a really good job. I mean, there, the book mostly takes place in uh, the Earth as we know it, and there's just some supernatural elements going on outside of what we are aware of. Um, so there wasn't a lot of buildup in that regard, but there was buildup um, in what I can assume is uh, the the world of the dead, mm-hmm. um, the underworld, or what what have you. The uh, city. <laughs> and the story itself really wasn't that complex, uh, which, again, is, like you said, Bobby, very unusual for Hickman. <laughs> uh, and I enjoyed it. I I thought the, the only thing that kind of – I didn't love the art, uh, and I didn't love the coloring. I thought it was interesting what they tried to do with the colors – uh, each kind of section uh, being overlaid with uh, a s- sort of solider color, varying shades of that color. Um, but I didn't really find it particularly effective for the most part. Uh, I don't know. I just thought that it would have looked nicer in another kind of, um, I don't know. In some other way, but the art wasn't up my alley, but the story was pretty solid. Yeah. Bob, what'd you think? Sure. I found that 60 pages read like 32. Mm. I mean, it really sped along. It opens with something out of a James Bond movie. Yeah. Yeah. Really very much that. And then takes these sort of odd turns into a family drama when we meet the colonel, into this wacky mythological Lovecraftian sort of Mm. underworld thing going on. And for Hickman, just as you're saying, this time there's no there there. You're digging for something that, oh, it's coming. I'm yeah. sure it's there somewhere. But it's just as Stephanie said, very often his first issues or in the first year of the Avengers mm. turned into kind of all sideways. Mm-hmm. And just little, it'd be like, uh, I don't know, cleaning your floor with a toothbrush. Right. Bring it a little <laughs> bit at yeah, a time. And yeah. eventually it gets done. Yeah. It just kind of takes forever. Here... Here are all the pieces, and I'm going to fill you in a little bit at a time, which is very different for him, which maybe that was his choice here just to particularly do Mm. something very different. Very much enjoyed the veteran angle of having, as with Velvet, having Mm. an older character. You know, Mm. we we so often see everyone, let's regress everyone to 20. Here's Mm. a guy with history who we'll get to deal with. The the wife angle, it's so lovely to see that there's that caring. You see those, those scenes. Now, that said, Stephanie, because I agree with you with the artwork a little bit, I found it a little flat. Not just the color palette. I could have almost dealt with that. But I think a little bit more dimensionality, mm-hmm. a little bit more of a 3D thing would have given some of those faces a little more depth, a little more emotion. This may work as the story moves forward into more action sequences. But I think here, just a little bit more emotion would have would have really helped me out a little bit. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I think there are some interesting mysteries with the two sisters. Yeah. Are they really sisters? Yeah. Is there something else going on there? And, you know, those darn Nazis. You never yeah, know. Yeah, you never know what they're doing. About. Yeah. Uh, really enjoyed it. I'm I'm probably not going to be a month to month thing. I think this is going to be a one heck of a great trade graphic novel. Do we know how many issues this is? I'm going to guess six. I'm going to guess six. The usual six. But, I mean,. I think it's sixty issues. I mean, I doubt that every issue is sixty uh, sixty pages. Yeah. What did they get for the single issue, by the way? Four fifty. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's pretty good for. Uh, 
And it's funny you said that about the story, right? Because usually you're right. Hickman does it the opposite way, right? He does it like, here's this big, crazy world, and you don't understand a lick of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and we're going to build from that. We're going to build it down so that we're going to build from the top of the pyramid, the bottom of, yeah, top of the pyramid to the bottom. And then you're going to understand yeah. it. You know, you're going to see the whole picture once we're done building it. But in this, he does the he does it the way that most people do it, but it seems like it's weird, yeah. is that he starts with an understandable, straightforward story mm-hmm. and sprinkles in like, here's this like city of the dead and this guy has some history with them. And you know, there's like the, there's this like group, there's this group that has a, something very similar about all of their members, yes. you know, all this, <laughs> and, and instead of, instead of teasing you with the normal stuff, he teases you with the extraordinary stuff. And I thought that was really cool of him. He's Steve, like what did you Willy think? Wonka. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did you think of the uh, overall book? See. After Stephanie starts <laughs> stop singing. You're welcome. Yeah. In a world of your imagination. <laughs> um, well, everybody, everybody that listens to the podcast knows that I'm a, I'm a pretty big Hickman fan. And um, I was really pleasantly surprised uh, by this book in that, I mean, you guys had touched on it quite a bit, that it felt like something different. It's like having one, like one of your favorite authors you know, they, they drop a book. It's been like a couple years or like mm. word is traveling around the internet that like, Oh, it's so different. I don't know if I like it. He's never really written anything like this before. Eh. And then you read it and you're like, ah, mm. like this is cool. Like this is, this is something different, but it's still got that like gravitas and, and like epicness to it. And you can feel that this is going to be a very like large scale story but usually with Hickman's large scale stories comes a very large scale presentation of what you're like the tools that you're going to need when he like when Hickman walks up to you with that briefcase of tools you're going to need for his stories <laughs> and he opens it up. It's got like, you know, tackle box shelving to it where it's just like it just folds out again and again and again and here. Um, but with this, it was straightforward, but. So super had supernatural elements to it, but um, it's funny. Like I, I know that um, both Bob and Steph. I don't know what you thought of the artwork. Um, the artwork really worked for me, actually. Um, particularly the colors. I really like when artists kind of play with um tones and hues and match them to either the events or the emotions of the story. And I like that we got a lot of like really hot colors, reds and oranges for what was pretty much the violence of the book. Um, Some of the more somber scenes in the hospital and moving um, into this kind of other world that we're introduced to is kind of this sepia tone, old timey, almost like sickly greenish tone. Um, And then you have these like hot desert colors of you moving into this this other world, this journey that he's going on, and then you meet these people. Anyway, you get my point. Um, like I said, I felt like the colors matched the world. Like Each time that they switched tones of color or associated a different color with a different place, I was able to know where I was in the story. Uh, and for something that is a, a Hickman joint, mm-hmm. if you will, that was very helpful to me. Because it helped me kind of like, I couldn't help but think of um, the Seinfeld episode where Kramer's actually on the set acting in Murphy Brown mm-hmm. and he's an imposter on the set and he's talking to people and he's like, you know, I don't act with words. I act with color. I go from red, blue, green. <laughs> like that's, 
kind of where my my head was at while reading this book. Um, in terms of the story, I I mean I this is this is my bag, right? Like I love this kind of stuff, especially this kind of um, like Dante esque um, landscape that he's set up. I mean some of the some of the artwork. I mean the characters themselves, the people. Yes, maybe a little bit flat at times, but as far as the landscapes the the underworld that we get this double this double page spread is just gorgeous the tree of life coming down into these like these temples and these different housing uh communities and stuff like that um the the tremendous work of the the masks that these soldiers are wearing um there's a scene where these um these like biped planes come in to uh this like cavern and it's all majestic and mountains and snow and shit um I really, I really enjoyed it because it really sets the tone and sets the pace uh, for me as to where I am in that world and in that story. And it was really cool just to read something from Hickman where I didn't have a headache <laughs> at the end of it. Like as much as I enjoy his stuff, I often feel exhausted by the end of it. Like I've been saving up new Avengers and Avengers. And like when Secret Wars comes, like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna beeline the whole thing and i know i'm gonna hate myself for it but i want to do it because i want to stay in that world and get into that complexity that he usually presents people with and i'm sure this will get oh yeah complex oh yeah as it goes forward but it's nice that we have we now have a, a hickman book that you can hand to somebody and be like oh i don't know man i tried reading his avengers i tried reading fantastic four and i just couldn't jump on there's all this stuff that happened ahead of time this is a book that i from him that i feel like listen i really like this this writer this creator try this Mm -hmm. check this out you know it's kind of some stuff you've seen before some stuff you haven't and you know if you dig it come back to me or just go to the local comic shop or come with me and pick it up yourself. Right. Um, I would be confident in handing this to somebody and say, Hey, check it out. Yeah. Um, and a little side note before I'm, I'm done talking. My mom called me today. I gave her uh, afterlife with Archie for Christmas. She read it and she loved it. That's awesome. She wants, she's like, where's the, where's the, where's the next book? And I'm like, they're only like one issue into the next. Yeah. That's bullshit. <laughs> Did you give her number six? I didn't. <gasps> I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her since like Christmas. Um, so we had a couple people hashtag TC oh, cool. book of the week. And um, just going off some of what we said already, though, um, uh, at uh, Eric um, R-R-Y-H-Y says, how did everyone feel about the coloring? Underwhelming or just enough to set the tone of the book? And you guys obviously chimed in about mm-hmm. that already. You know, I'm of two minds about it. I really like the line work of the art. It reminds me somewhat of um, kind of the Chris Burnham stuff like from ba- uh, Batman Incorporated and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, some of those really, really detailed lines. It also reminds me, and it, it's blanking on the name right now, of his artist from Manhattan, Manhattan Project. Manhattan Project. Yeah. That's, that's who I thought it was. Yeah, it's not. It's different. It's different artist. Okay. Uh, is that it? What? The top, no, it's not Nick. Yes, um, it is. It's Nick something. Um, Dragoda? Patara. Patara. Nick Patara. Uh, is the, Dragoda is, the is East of West. Yeah, Dragoda right. is East of West. Again, my, my Hickman. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of that art. You know, the, the, those kind of very, very detailed lines. And, and when, he, when he does gore, it's very, very gory. You know? mm-hmm. um, the coloring for me, sometimes it worked really well. And other times I felt like I wanted to see the art 
more. I wanted to see the coloring done more. Mm-hmm. Some diversity of it, I think, would, would, would have been better mm-hmm. for me. But overall, I did I did enjoy um, the, way, the way the art w- was laid out. Uh, Carol Crosses at Kinky Comic Girl on Twitter said, um, I very much enjoyed it. Looking forward to your comments this week. It's a slow start. Good, yes, I like it. Do you think a slow burn is a good start? Does it give you faith for a great payoff? What do you think, Bob? Yes, it's Hickman. Yes, yeah. there'll, be a, there'll be a great payoff, and I think it, in this case, coming sooner than later. Mm. Yeah. I think there'll be one or two of them as we come along. There are two different stories that are going to intersect before mm-hmm. they end. Yeah. Well, we got a lot in, yeah. in yeah. just this first issue. Yeah. You know, it's if anything, if it's going to be a, a shorter series, maybe we'll get, you know, bulky issues with, with lots of sub- substance for each one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like to me, like a really good episode first episode of a television show mm-hmm. yeah you know it felt like a pilot to me almost like the way it went through this basic character story and, and it and revealed these really big events and then set you off i mean i loved the whole like um the whole the whole deal right and, and the the choice mm-hmm. he gives him i loved i, I didn't expect it uh, but i loved it i loved the way that that played out i was really really happy with that um the dying and the dead coming to hbo exactly it'll make a hell of a tv show if they do it Stephanie, what do you think about it being a slow start do you do you, do you think that it's a slow burn do you think that slow burns are good um it depends on the payoff right mm. uh with hickman i don't know that i've sat through a lot <laughs> of his books because um i trade weight uh for most of his stuff because it's just too much for me to read episodically but uh it it set up everything that it needed to. So I, I totally agree that it was very much like a, a really excellent pilot episode. Um, it did exactly what it was meant to, albeit with a lot of pages. But, I mean, I, I don't think Hickman, no offense to Hickman, first issues and pilots, they're really, really hard to write. And I just don't think that he could have pulled off um, uh, an engaging, uh, you know, comic that you're going to want to pick up um next time with only 24 pages and not to say that that he's a bad writer just just he just has a lot to say yeah just Um, the way he writes he's not a his narratives don't fit into the normal size so had this been um you know a normal book like 24 pages it would have been like oh my god no this is (laughs) just too much um but he did a really good job of putting it together and obviously that's Thanks to Image being really flexible with them first issues. Yeah, uh, and we only had one weird Hickman diagram. That's on the little one on the back. Yeah, <laughs> like, we had to have one. <laughs> and I would say, I, I, you mentioned the emotion before about the wife. That's something Hickman doesn't usually do. Hickman does yeah. not usually do small emotional moments, and that's really cool that it, that it's in the book. I, I, that shows growth to me uh, as a writer. Well, I will say, though, back in his Fantastic Four days, right? Yeah, there was a lot of that yeah. there with the kids and, mm-hmm. and Reed and Sue or whatever. Right. So it's just gone away from that maybe in the creator-owned books? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, and Thank you, Carol. That was a good question. Yeah, and uh, at the Brad Pinder, so no, taking place years ago, does this add to the drama and negating our current tech or to hinder our protagonist? Oh, I think it helps. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it says 1969 on the first page. Uh, so obviously it's taking place, you know, 50 years ago, whatever it might be. But I think that uh, if they're not, I don't know how much they're going to address it, but it's the same reason why Quentin Tarantino tries not to put too much modern technology and stuff into his movies. Scorsese the same way, right? It's because you, you don't want to date your you don't want to date your movie. You want to give it a timeless feel so that anyone can really relate to it 
you know um i don't know how much the the scenarios are going to play into like the the cell phone aspect of it like or or the internet or how this could be solved by any of those tools it doesn't seem like that kind of story uh but you know it it is it does allow you to to tell i think more um tense stories in some ways by taking into the past you know because you i don't we were so so the opposite but we were watching an episode of friends where they get stuck on a roof and we, my karen and i were both saying like this would not even be a story today yeah like, they just pick up their phone and go hey we're on the roof can you come get us but in there they're stuck on the roof and they have to find some way to get down yeah. and, and, and so obviously not the comedy version of that but the actual drama version of that i think plays well when you take that technology away right takes some of the ease out of a situation yes and that's important here's a guy who he's as an older character to begin with he's a probably world war ii veteran Mm -hmm. so now we're looking at uh, it's typewriters and maybe teletype machines he may get information but it could take days Mm -hmm. he's gonna have to figure things out Mm -hmm. i want to watch him figure things out he's that kind of character already i want to see him utilize his brain power utilize his physicality if need be but let him do it. Let yeah. him not be taken away from him because I can punch some buttons. Yeah. And I'm very interested in him as a character, so yeah. I like that a lot. That's going to drive me through the story a lot. Well, didn't they give us the impression that he's been around for quite some time? Yeah. Like well, they... I mean, he's been around. He's still a man. Yeah. But I think in his younger days, he had another run-in with these kind of the, the dead or whatever right. they are. Yeah. So he's had yeah. some... There's a past to him that we don't quite know yet. And I do love the complete like stark whiteness of the... Of those characters, yes. I think it's a really cool effect. It reminds me of the the Black Swan in uh, mm. in Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They remind me a little bit of um, the um, antagonist from the movie Dark City. Oh yeah, absolutely. A little bit, absolutely. So yeah, the dying um, and the dead. Uh, if you guys want to write in with more of your thoughts, please write in with us. You know, uh, use the hashtag TC Book of the Week, TC B O T W, um, and, and let us know what you thought. And uh, email us podcast or Hit up us on Facebook. Uh, but uh, Stephanie's picking the next book. And uh, Stephanie, she, we want to announce it on the show so you guys have time to to check it out. So Stephanie, what book are we going to doing next week? Uh, I have chosen Nameless from Grant Morrison nice. and Chris Burnham. Uh, so if you Who want to hear a little bit more image, about right? that, uh, Chris actually talks about it in an mm-hmm. interview I did a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. So prepare, ask questions, and we'll be discussing the book ah. next week. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Nice choice, Steph. Yeah. A Hickman book and a Morrison book. We're we're, we're diving in deep with yeah, the, yeah. the TC book of the week. I'm actually we going through the list for next week right now. Breaking <laughs> our brain banks. Exactly, exactly. All right, guys. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk to Maria Norris about human rights and representation in comic books. We are back, and uh, we are joined by a very special guest, Maria Norris. Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. 
Oh, of course. We're super psyched. So this week on Talking Comics, in conjunction with the LSE uh, Human Rights blog, uh, we're doing Comics, Human Rights, and Representation Week. Uh, Maria organized the, the entire thing, and, and she brought the idea to us um, to co-run on, on Talking Comics, and we're super excited uh, to have it there. But Maria, why don't you tell people at home, if they haven't been checking out the website, um, which they should be, uh, what it's all about? Okay, so... Um the Human Rights Comic Comics Human Rights and Representation Week is um, being hosted by both Talking Comics, as you said, and the LSE Human Rights Blog. The LSE Human Rights Blog is associated with the Center for the Study of Human Rights at the LSE, and um, the LSE is the London School of Economics and Political Science. And I've been there for years, <laughs> way too long, <laughs> um, in grad school, so um, so I know it well. So the idea for the Comics Human Rights and Representation Week started around November when I handed in my the first draft of my PhD and um, the last thing I wanted to do was something related to my work. So I started, I thought, because I'm one of the lead editors of the blog, I thought, hey, I love comics, I love representation, I love Ms. Marvel, let's write an article about that. And then I started thinking that it was much bigger than just Ms. Marvel and what I felt about comics. So I started reaching out to people and actually it was quite serendipitous because it was around that week that uh, the Misfits had the Wonder Woman um, podcast mm. with Bob and Carolyn Coca and I just thought hey I'll give this a go so I emailed both Bob and Carolyn straight away after I listened to the episode with my idea and saying what do you guys think do you want to participate and they were both really positive about the whole thing so I, th- I thought this is great I'm going to run with it I'm going to email people I'm going to bite the bullet and email Bobby <laughs> asking <laughs> if talking comics could be involved and I was chatting to Hugh um, over and over again saying should I do that and he's like yeah Bobby's great I wouldn't have slept in his house otherwise <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gave a go and you said yes so the whole thing really really grew and the one thing that I wanted to really stress is that it grew really organically I didn't tell people to write about specific topics or specific comics I mean, maybe I said, I told Carolyn, you know, Wonder Woman and Carolyn Coca, and I mentioned some people, like very basic things, but it organically grew to be about female representation in comics, so the representation of women, and it's amazing that some comics keep on coming up over and over again without me having prompted it, such as Ms. Marvel, and... The goal for me for this week was twofold. I wanted to, one of the goals of the LSC Human Rights blog is that we want to demystify human rights. It's run by students, by the students of the MSC Human Rights, so students who are doing a master's or a PhD in human rights at the LSE. And our goal with the blog is to, we don't want to preach the, to the converted in a way. We don't want to only be speaking to NGOs and academics and activists because those are people who already are convinced by the cause of human rights. What we want to do is to broaden the appeal of human rights. We want people to know that human rights is essentially something that you can do every day, that you don't have to think that human rights protection is about, you know, going to a poor country and helping people or international law. And, you know, it's not a lofty ideal. It is all those things, but it is essentially about human dignity and respecting human dignity. And that can happen at the everyday level as what you do as a human being. And it can happen in comics. And that was the first goal, is to show that representation is important. It matters. And it is a key aspect of human rights protection and promotion. Because representation is about making people visible. 
And the key thing about being having human dignity is the right to be seen and the right to be heard and the right to recognize yourself in the media around you. And I think comic books are an arena where this has been challenged recently, particularly, but it's also been reinforced. So I wanted to look at comics as a case study for the concept and the importance of human rights and representation. And I think it's gone really well so far. Uh, yeah, it's gone great. I mean, all the articles, um, a few of them are obviously written by people that are listening to the podcast probably know Bob. Uh, Bob's went up on Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, and uh, Mara Wood has an article coming out as well. That hasn't been published yet, has it? It has, yeah. I'm way off on time because I'm thinking about yeah, time travel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mara as well, um, Carolyn is as well. But a lot of people who have nothing to do with talking comics uh, who have written really, really great stuff. So people should check it out. Um, if you go to talkingcombooks.com, there's a tab for it. Um, it's all the way to the left. It's the first tab uh, on the site. So check it out, and all the content is collected there for everybody to check out. Um, and all linked backwards to LSE as well. Yeah, there's yep. links in every article uh, back. So which is which is great. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really well received so far. I mean, I know that our traffic has definitely spiked in, in the last couple of days. Oh, that's uh, good do, to hear. Do this. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's been nice. A- and the reception in, on, on Twitter and, and social media has been great as well. So it's been nice. But if you guys, you know, go to the site and comment on the articles because I think there, you can have some very good debate and very healthy discussions over there. Um, Bob, I mean, why don't you – I know a lot – see, the, th- the funny thing is like – you know, I, I know a lot of people, the, the, the diehard people listen to the podcast, obviously go to the site as well, but the, the podcast gets so many more people listening to it than actually go to the website. Um, so, uh, Bob, why don't you fill in, what, what did you write about? I wrote uh, an article about the superheroine struggle for respect. In the early days of the medium, where there were quite a few superheroines of great attitude and desires and ideals... And you have to remember, it's the Rosie the Riveter era. It's, it's, it's World War II, and we can do it, and, and all this sort of stuff. And post-World War II, things changed. As in American society, when the soldiers came back, many women who even wanted to continue working found that they couldn't. The, the doors were closed to them that hadn't been before. And comic books, superheroines represented how society changed. When you see what happened to Wonder Woman after the death of Dr. Marston, where she was, was now a, almost a romance comic, because how many times could Steve ask her to marry her and, and all this sort of stuff? And then it took the 60s to change things, but slowly, very slowly. And we, we got better through the 70s. We had progress, slow progress. But while that progress was taking place, sales to women were going down the drain, quite frankly, and something that has continued up until now. And we managed to get through the dark ages of the 90s and have now moved into what I think is a change that is finally happening. And and while I'm speaking of this, can I throw a question at Maria while we're doing this? Maria, as you've done so much of this research and, and your article is just wonderful speaking about this, what do you think is the future? As we've traversed all these decades to get to here, it Will comics once again become something that everyone can embrace, that all genders, colors, races, religion, that everyone will once again, as it was back in the old days, where everyone read comic books? Are we heading in that direction again? I hope so. I hope so. But I think it's also important that we don't become complacent because we've, I think, we've gotten far, but we've gotten far 
before, and that's something that Laris Nodden, who has um, written one of the articles that's going to be out this week, has, has talks about in her piece. Her piece um, is about um, the forgotten women of comics. So it's essentially about women like um, Rose O'Neill, Ethel Hayes, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Mary Duvall, Marie Duvall that wrote um, um, Alice Loper here in the UK, about women that have worked in the comic book industry before, but they've been mostly forgotten by, the, by history books. So we've been in a stage where things were okay, but it went backwards. And, and um, Bob, you talk about this in your piece as well about the, you know, the Dark Ages and the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. I think it really much, it very much depends on us as readers and fans and people with platforms like you guys and talking comics. We need to make sure that it doesn't go backwards, that this only goes forward. So we need to support the books they are doing things differently and support not just by talking about it but financially support it yes buy the books buy them for a friend you know distribute the um codes the digital codes that marvel sometimes gives away just make this available because one thing to notice is that before to note before i got into comics it took me ages to get into it and the two main reasons were one because i didn't think it was for me and two because i thought it was really difficult to get into I just didn't know where to start. So tell people where to start. Help people. Because I wouldn't be where I am today when it comes to comics and this project without you guys. Because it doesn't sound like it and it doesn't seem like it anymore. But I've only been into comics since August. Wow. wow. <laughs> it's just, it's not even a year. And it's just been incredible because I've had help. I've had guidance. I've had people like Talking Comics and you guys on Twitter and people on Tumblr and websites like the Mary Sue just helping guide people the right way. But not everyone knows to go looking for these things. I found you guys completely by accident. So we need to, I don't even remember how, but I did. And um, so we need, comics are not that difficult to get into anymore, especially with the digital market where you can find issue ones easily and people can get access to them. And apps like Marvel Unlimited that can help you get into easily get into the background and the back issues and all of these things. They're, it's not to, as difficult to get into as before. So I think we need to really try our hardest to get people into comics and to get the people who are already into comics buying these books and supporting these books. Because that's how we're going to cement the change. It's not that I want to be pessimistic. I'm really not. I'm really optimistic about the future. But being optimistic is one thing. You need to take action on that optimism. And that's what I want us to be able to do. Right. It is still a business, and if the books that we champion don't end mm-hmm. up selling, it turns into, see, we as they, they talk about female-led superhero mm-hmm. movies, well, we tried that and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. No, these these books have started well, and we need to make sure they keep up. It isn't just a speculator market, it's a growing readership. I'd still love to know, they keep them all hidden, I'd love to know the digital sales numbers mm-hmm. for some of these things, because just as you're saying, Maria, so many people are averse to walking into stores that aren't welcoming that we've talked about a lot on the show over the months and those digital numbers could paint a much different picture of where the industry is but we've no real way of knowing except to hear that well as ex alonzo said we don't keep critical darlings here we're we're keeping books that sell Mm -hmm. or that he mentions how the digital sales of ms marvel are historic well what is that is it twice the print Mm -hmm. sales three times four times it's through seven printings, is it now, Maria? It is on Ms. Marvel number one. Seven printing. Yeah, and I think um, the importance of the digital market. You need to, that's why every 
article that we have, both at the LSC website and in the Talking Comics, both versions, they do have links to Comsicology because I want people to know that it's easy to pick this up. And um, I mentioned this in the interview with um, G. Willow Wilson, who the interview will go live tomorrow. And she mentioned that the digital market and the fact that it's selling so well there, that Ms. Marvel and Miles Morales, for example, are selling so well in the digital market is because this means new readership. It's new people coming into comic books. People who don't want to go to a comic book shop or are afraid to go to one or haven't had good experiences in comic book shops. And I don't know. I don't think anyone's immune from that. I myself had a really bad experience the first time I went to a comic book shop. I went to pre-order Batgirl 35, which was the first time I ever went into a comic book shop. And they told me they didn't do that. Which <laughs> makes no sense. No. <laughs> How do you go into a comic book shop and they tell you they don't pre-order comics? <laughs> it's just... Now it makes no sense to me, but when they told me that, I thought, "Oh God, maybe it doesn't make any sense." And um, so, but <laughs> that's I, how the whole mo- that's the whole business works. Yes. <laughs> I know. No now secret. I know. Now I buy previews. That's the kind of yes. rabbit hole I've fallen into. I have yeah. previews on my pull list, so I know how the market <laughs> works now. But I didn't know then. Yeah. So I thought there was something wrong with me, but there mm-hmm. wasn't anything wrong. With, there wasn't anything wrong with me. There was something wrong with the people in that shop. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about um, this in in a. Lately, actually, since the Secret Wars thing we talked about, um, the, the more just the getting into the books thing, because we had, and I'm sure he'll know who I, he, I'm talking about when, when I talk about it now, but there we have a listener now who's brand new to reading comics, like in the last couple of weeks or something, and he's been asking me questions mm-hmm. on Twitter about stuff, and questions that I don't even think about anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? And I, I, I think about it, and I remember back to when we started, and I, I think a lot of what got us gave us traction at the beginning um was that we uh, except for what we brought bob on to be the voice of the knowing because we all were new to it was that we were also new to it so i I feel like we were very welcoming and you know i I began to think about are we doing still doing enough you know to have to make Mm. people feel like comfortable are we our discussions turning into inside baseball like I, i just started thinking about it again and it's something i haven't thought about you know, for a long time. And I, I know obviously we're still welcoming the people who want to be part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the because of the niche, the niche of the, of the comic, the comic books are such a niche, people become so insular uh, uh, about it. And, and uh, you know, I don't think we're, we're that bad, but I feel like it, that's one of, the, one of the biggest problems is that people get into their comfortable bubble and then they don't like to be broken out of it in any right. way. But unless you zero in on that, I mean, you're never going to, really think about that unless like you said you had that thought yeah you know you'd have to consciously go in and look at the show yeah and see if it's still welcoming for new listeners and mm-hmm. new readers and stuff like that because that's that's just natural progression yeah you know yeah but i mean it's good to know that maria started listening in august and she and she found it uh, a fantastic. good a good yes. a good doorway into the world i did and you guys were talking about an event as well if i'm not mistaken that i had no idea about i'm trying to figure <laughs> out which one it was but um, um who knows original sin maybe oh probably <laughs> And yeah. I, I don't read original sin, so yeah. I don't know. But it was something that um, I wasn't familiar with, but I still stuck with it because you didn't talk only about that topic. You be, and that's one of the main things why the, the format of the podcast that I love is that you mm-hmm. have the different sections. You have the lightning round and book of the week, and boy, are those two sections responsible for a lot of the money that I spend <laughs> <laughs> every Wednesday. So thank you. Yeah. But um, you're and welcome, and we apologize. Like, <laughs> exactly and that's how I found out about new comics and then by listening to the discussions afterwards I found out more about the community and about what was happening so I think they complement each other 
Yeah. And, you know, Maria asked me to write an introduction for the for the site. And it was it was a very difficult thing for me to write because and I said it in the right in the thing. But I feel supremely unqualified to talk about, you know, this stuff because, um, you know, I look I just our community is is very, very nice. Um, upside a few people who sometimes are not very nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, I, I have seen just in a Mac in a, in a micro level. Right. I'll say something on the podcast and Stephanie will basically say the exact same thing that I say and then she'll get a ton of shit for it Mm -hmm. and no one will say anything to me, you know, and I see it and and I try to speak out when it happens. But, you know, I I feel like me talking about right and representation in comics, I sometimes feel like a an imposter, you know, because I, I. I look at every comic book and I'm on the cover of every comic book, basically, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, better looking versions of me most, mostly, but like, oh, I can, I can yeah. at least say, um, uh, uh, like th- this looks like me, you know, but so I don't have those issues, but what I've been to think about in the last couple of months and, and especially with things that happened in the last year, you know, cause I, I understand why some people who they look at, they don't have the problems that, people who are not represented enough have and so it's very easy to see it as not a problem because you don't feel like it's like saying like oh money's not an issue if you it isn't if you have a lot of money but if you don't have any money it's it's an issue right so i it's the same thing and and i don't think i don't think all of it is you know meant to be malicious at all i think a lot of it is just ignorance but uh that's not necessarily an excuse and and, you know the, the only way i can frame it for people who need it to be an interest of their own is that i don't like what the phrase you know being a man has become you know i don't want i i want to be proud to be who i am and when i look at the way that people treat that what it means to be a man it, it makes me sad and it makes me angry and it make and I, I hate it it shouldn't mean that you belittle people and that you are aggressive and that you f- try to force people to believe what you believe or force people to keep you on top it, being a man should mean something good you know it should mean something that you know it should mean that you have integrity. It should mean that you, you know, that, that you have courage and bravery and all of those things have nothing to do with being in charge or being on top. It means, you know, it, it means being a good person and, and, and watching out for others. It means just being a human, a good human being. And I hate the fact that when I go out there and I look at 99% of the vitriol and crap that gets thrown out there, it's done by people in the name of being, you know, masculine and a man yeah it, it bothers me to no end because they're the opposite of that you know yeah. it's the opposite of that it's cowardless and, and and it's stupidity and all of those things have no place in 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 a, in a conversation especially in an artistic medium mm-hmm. you know we we should pride ourselves on the fact that we we have a connection to art that not everyone has you know your love of comic books shows a connection to art and story that not everyone has and you should be proud of that and you should be proud of the fact that there, there can be something of that for everybody because think about what it does for you. You know what I mean? Think about mm-hmm. how it lifts you up and how it helps you and how it could do that for everybody else. It, you, you, and there's, there's plenty to go around. There's so many books. Yeah. And, and, like, and like I said, there's so many of them that cater just to you. You know, it's okay that there are more, there are others that cater to other people. And, and I, you know, I get very, I, get, I just get angry sometimes. I get really angry mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I hate just being angry. You know, I hate being unconstructive because I feel like sometimes I want to go and just be angry. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And I know that's not anything done. I know that just brings you down to a level, 
you know, of, of the people who are, are going after you. But sometimes it just feels so unfair that they get to say whatever they want and you don't get to go to that yeah. level because you're trying to be a better person, you know. And this, but this is, but there is a way to be better. And what Maria, what you've organized this week is is that right? It's it's intelligent, it's thought provoking, it's researched, it's real, it's it's real emotion and passion and 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 facts that that create an argument that trumps theirs in every way. It might not be as loud a, a, as theirs, but it's certainly more effective. So I thank you for because we talk about it a lot on the show, you know, but it's not always super represented in the in the content of the site. So I, 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 I want to thank you for, for coming to us with it. Thank you. Um, I really want to thank you for letting me do it, for agreeing to partner with me because you guys mean something to me because oh. having a community where you can belong and you can talk about what you're passionate about and have people talk back to you, not like talk back to you, but agree with what you're saying or discuss <laughs> what you're saying and just having a community is important to me. And having found the geek community, especially the comic book community, through you guys, I've met some wonderful people who enrich my life. And and you guys do that. And I think this is not to get a bit lofty and patting ourselves on the back of it too much. But um, what I when I talk about promoting human rights, starting at the individual level, it's not crazy to say that the work that you guys do with talking comics, with the forums, with using the podcast as your platform... This thing, this promotes human rights because the promotion of human rights is not just about saving people on a grand scale. The promotion of human rights is about respecting human dignity and extending a hand and welcoming people. It starts at the individual level with the smallest thing. It's not something that's left to people working in the UN. It starts with every one of us. And I really, truly believe that you guys do that every week with everything you do on the website and with creating this community. This is something that you have done and you should be proud of it because everyone that belongs to it loves it. So having you guys partner with the LSE Human Rights blog for this project, it's the right partnership because you're already doing what we're doing in a different medium, in a different scale. Well, wow. thank you. That wow. means wow. a lot. Yes, that means, yes. means a lot. Stephanie, you've been you've been quiet. What do you have anything you wanted to chime in with? Uh, yeah, I've been just given a coloring book, so that's why I've been <laughs> abnormally silent this whole time. Um, but uh, anyways, I wanted to go back to what you were saying, Bobby, about um, sexism in comics, and um, you know, men feeling like they need to be these gatekeepers to keep women out and only accept the women that you know have proven themselves. Um, you know. Only these women can be in our treehouse, um, but mostly not because they have cooties. But anyways, um, we did on Misfits, we did the first of our Star Wars podcasts and we had a couple of really special guests. We had Bonnie Burden and Adam Hughes on the show um, and Adam kind of invited himself on uh, <laughs> because he felt none of us were old enough to have seen it in theaters. <laughs> um, so he wanted to be a curmudgeon, but... Uh, him and Bonnie wound up talking basically for a good chunk of the show, and it was really fascinating to hear their perspective on the geek community um, when they were growing up. You know, they were talking about how um, there was never this, you know, gated community. And when girls went to see Star Wars in the theaters, um, like, that was cool. Like, these girls were cool. Kids would come to school and... You know, boys and girls would be like, want to play Star Wars? And they'd be like, yeah. And it didn't matter who was playing who. And, 
you know, everyone wanted to play as Han or Luke or Leia. And she, like Bonnie said, some weird kid would always want to be Chewbacca because he could do the <laughs> roar really awesome. Yeah. But there was never this sense of you can't play with us. You're a girl. Um, Star Wars isn't for girls. And she said, actually, both Adam and Bonnie said this, you know, it was universal it wasn't a niche thing star wars was huge like it played in theaters for a year um and they went on to talk about how if you liked star wars you were just like automatically one of the gang there was varying degrees of fandom for it but like again it it goes into comics as well where um you know sexism was obviously really rampant back in the day but not in our geek community. And then all of a sudden, something, a, f- a switch was flipped. And sexism, which is supposed to be slowly going away now, has shown up in our community. And I just feel like that's really weird. Well, my dad has this theory. Well, it's not a theory. He just says that all the time. Um, <laughs> to explain why certain things go badly really quickly. And he calls it the, the antibiotic theory essentially he says that when you take antibiotic when you're sick you always get worse before you get better because you know it's the bacteria reacting and going crazy because it's being killed so being an optimist i look at all of this as the bacteria this is just the death throes of something that's dead or dying that doesn't represent what it's going to be anymore so that's why we have all this explosion of hate and horrible things with, you know, like Gamergate and people getting death threats and rape threats because they said something about comics that other people didn't agree with. This is why it's being loud at the moment because it's the bacteria dying off and it wants to call attention to itself. I know it sounds really, really horrible <laughs> and mean. No, I love it. But yeah, I like that actually. It's, it's, it's an, my dad always said it and I've always repeated to myself when I think that the world is getting bad or something, that it isn't getting bad. It's just evil is loud. But goodness isn't. Goodness doesn't need to be loud. Hmm. It just happens. And it happens. And I, but I disagree with that. I actually think goodness has to be really loud because people need to hear. <laughs> but yeah. the bacteria is dying off. That's why things are getting like heating up at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, and we we are a culture that responds more to negativity than to positivity. It's much easier to hurl hate than it is to hurl love somewhere along the way we got like this this these lines crossed where you're not saying things of of substance unless you're saying things negative unless you're tearing something down you're not really saying anything of substance because you're not really looking deep into things or whatever it might be and i think that 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 started as you know just being critical of movies or whatever and it's it got adopted as as wait the way just things are and so then these people think they can say real real horrible things to real people and and it's just the way it is you know and you 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 get into like a conversational level with anyone who may have said a horrible thing not the people who go to the next level with it obviously and they're just like well i'm just saying it you know it's just like i just say it and who cares you know and i mean stephanie we had right we had someone kind of say something really shitty to you a, a few uh, a few weeks ago now um on twitter and when we confronted him about it, he basically was like, I don't know, I was just... Just, was just, just kidding. It was a joke. <laughs> just joking. And, he, and he's probably listening right now, but I'll tell you right now, I, I, and I think what happens is people don't identify the person on the other end as a person, you know? No, for mm-hmm. real. Like, Yeah. I, 
like, again, I'm not trying to drop into things that I've done before, but like in my interview with Phil Lamar, we were talking about, um, you know, like, how do you kind of deal with criticisms online? Because I mean, when you're a big, like celebrity, people just like, like, you know who sucks? Phil Lamar. Like, (laughs) he's the worst as this voice. And like, they don't realize that, you know, that's not a bot. Like, that's his personal account. And people are just incredibly rude. And sometimes, sometimes the people who say things like, they're like, borderline constructive, like somebody was like, ragging on me after the whole events thing um a couple weeks ago and was like uh stephanie sucks this is the worst but then like we had a constructive like conversation about it i was like you know like it's not nice for you to say these things like i'm a person too and these things don't come from me wanting to troll they come from like a passion for the industry and wanting better things from it and i it's just had a it wound up being a really interesting conversation and the person uh, then kind of was like, all right, I appreciate you having this conversation with me. I see it from your perspective now and I get it. Uh, but then there was like another person who was just like, hashtag goodbye cookie. I was like, seriously? <laughs> like, this isn't a joke. There's a really fine line. And if what you're saying hurts somebody, it's not a joke, it's bullying. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, absolutely. think about what you're typing. And if, you know, you don't have something nice to say, just don't say it at all. Or at least don't take the person in it because it's really disrespectful. And it's super easy. It's super easy to be a good person. Like, it's even super easy to be an okay person. (laughs) You know, like, but there are so many people who choose to just be like, screw this, I'm going to be an a-hole. Like, don't do that. You can make the internet a better place. Don't make it a place that people don't want to go. Make it a place that's inviting and a place that, you know, you would want to be welcomed into. Like, nobody wants to go to a community where they're like, hey, welcome to Twitter. Die in a fire. <laughs> nobody wants that. Like, No, and, and of course, these are like, these are the, the, and these might sound like micro situations to the bigger issues we're talking about, but to what Maria said before, it doesn't begin with giant declarations made by giant organizations. It, it starts with one person being better to another person. And, and that's what all this is about, I think. Well, the phrase back from when I was a teenager was think globally, act locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just be a good and person. That's what you really need to do in your neighborhood, your next door neighbor. The, the, we're in the midst of all these snowstorms. Yeah. Old lady next door, maybe you can help shovel her driveway. Right. <laughs> Little tiny random acts of kindness make a difference it all adds up into a different zeitgeist in in the world yeah. it's putting karma out there and it's mm-hmm. just better yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and i think absolutely i think um stephanie obviously you have a bigger platform than i do on twitter and uh, in social media in general so you get this a lot but um, have you i don't know time travel have you guys talked about bitch planet yet uh, we're gonna be talking about it well we did talk we about did. it yeah, yeah. earlier on the show <laughs> <laughs> So you have. So um, I'll just make a quick comment on it. There's the idea of being non-compliant and why that has been so resonant with women. And um, and again, a plug. We'll talk about this. It was an interview with Kelly Sudeconic on Friday. And Amy Devine, so at Good Evening on Twitter, has written an article for us on Bitch Planet as well, which will be on on Friday. But um, anyway, back to what I was going to say, the idea of non-compliance, being a woman with an opinion is being non-compliant. 
because we are expected to be quiet. We're expected to defer to what other people are saying. And by not doing that in whatever medium, we stick out. You become non-compliant, so you attract this type of criticism. And I get that in my professional life as well. My work is on um, counterterrorism in the UK since 9-11. And when I go to conferences and present my work, or when I teach about it, or even when I talk about it on Twitter, I sometimes get comments like, well, you, the girl, you're wearing a pink dress in this conference, you're going to talk about terrorism? Or when I was tweeting about um, the Senate torture report that came out, and people were saying, no, 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 I can't take, I actually got tweets about this, like, I can't take what you're saying seriously, because I see in your timeline, you also talk about comics and Sailor Moon. So our credentials are questioned way more than men credentials, male credentials are questioned, because having an opinion as a woman and being loud about that opinion makes you non-compliant. It makes you stand out in a society that wants you to be quiet because quiet is the status quo and the status quo never wants to, you know, end, essentially. So, and I think that the comic book industry and the comic books themselves, so the art and the writing, it reflects society as a whole. So that's why we have these problems with sexism and lack of representation because we are at a different stage in society. So what I'm trying to say is that things are changing for the good but we're still at a stage where being female with an opinion is still being non-compliant. So we have a long way to go, but we're on our way. So being positive with a little dash of realism. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think there are people who might be listening who, you know, I think people sometimes they get defensive, right? Because there might be guys out there saying that that's not me. I don't talk like that. That's not, it's not true. And maybe it's not true for you, but you need to look at the rest of the way the world and and the people around you treat and talk about things, you know, because there are things that like even I think about that, like, um, you know, that I used to say when I was younger or whatever. And I think about now, it's like, I probably sound like a pretty big dick when I said that, you know, maybe I made people uncomfortable. And, and you know, there, there are times where people say things and you just and sometimes you just don't say anything. You're like, well, it's just the way they are. Like, don't worry about it. A, b- being quiet is is basically is a, is a tacit approval of what people are doing, you know. And I, I think that you, maybe you don't act this way, but you need to look out and see how other people are acting, you know. Because I would love to say, oh, just treat everybody the same way, you know, and you should treat everybody the same way. But when people are starting from behind. You know, it's tough to do that because the, the people can never catch up if no. if if you don't space, pay special attention at certain times to, to certain things that are happening. And of course, you know, we've, we've been focusing um, uh, on you know, the, like you said, Maria, it kind of naturally went to uh, female representation and rights in comics. But I mean, this is of course across the board for for minorities, especially we've seen in the country for the, the last year um, in our country alone. It, it's been the right the the issue goes far past gender it goes into race and and religion and everywhere um and just look at the way it's it's important just to realize it and to look at the way things are reported and look at the way things are handled and and framed for you and try to look past the way things are framed for you remember who's framing them yes Uh, you know because that's the thing Mm -hmm. is that the people who frame the debate are going to frame it in the best way to make them look the best you know, so you have to be able to look through that. And, and some of it's just done by ignorance. Like I talked about in my, in my article very, very briefly, but, you know, um, the, the Charlie Hebdo 
tragedy that happened in in France. Mm -hmm. You know, Muslim extremists, you know, killed those people. And then it was like Muslims across the world had to answer, had to answer questions about why they did this. It would never happen if, if if that was the other way around, you know? Christians everywhere aren't asked to comment on, uh, uh, you know, someone doing crazy things who happens to be a Christian, you know, or doing crazy things because they are Christian. They, yes. they, they don't challenge the entire, the entire belief system, right? Um, so you have to just look at the way those things are framed, right? Look at the way people deal with those things. And, and if you start to realize it, you'll start to see it. And then it's like somebody pointing something out to you, you know, oh, you know, you know, it's like when somebody pointed out to me that there's a lot of lens flare in J.J. Abrams movies. I never saw it before, but then once I once somebody told me, I watched it. I was like, wow, there are a lot of lens flares in J.J. Abrams <laughs> yeah. movies, and it's a very similar thing. You know, you begin to see it. You know, I remember I was I was watching, I was watching the the, the latest Hobbit movie, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the Evangeline Lilly character is really awesome in that second movie, and she's awesome for a lot of the third movie. But the end of the third movie just happens that she basically goes into this battle and basically falls down and the guy has to come in and save her. That's how the movie is structured. It's incredibly disappointing. Like I wouldn't, it's, first of all, it's not interesting narratively, but also it just, I was like, why is this whole time you set up this character to be this one thing and then you put him in this very typical, you know, role at the end where it, it the, the guy, the male has to come in and save the helpless female who, by the way, is like a super powered like you know elf woman so yeah, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make any sense um and i, I never I, if this had been five years ago i never would have thought about that you know so it's little things that you have to just look at and realize and then i think it opens up a whole new world to you to to help and to change things be glad that you're aware of them yeah you yeah. know yeah absolutely now, to, to me in terms of news stories and, and political opinion whatever you really need to triangulate in this day and age because just as the debates about everything seem to be amped up and it's about anger and how I can say things in the most brutally direct, sometimes stupid way, mm-hmm. it's to find where the real story is. It's, it's a Venn diagram. All the, all the angles meet somewhere in the middle and there's mm-hmm. where the real core of the truth of these stories it lies. And we don't. We, we take things for granted. We need it in sound bites. We need it quickly. And if we let others frame that debate for us, just as you're saying, Bobby, whether it's the guy on Twitter yelling about a game or uh, Janelle Aslan and that Teen Titans cover Mm -hmm. that turned into a debate over her just saying, it's a bad cover at every level you Mm -hmm. can imagine, artistically and what it says about the book, considering it's called Teen Titans Mm -hmm. and what it says about the readers, it could have a reasoned, good, solid argument turned into a disaster Mm-hmm. As people felt diminished by what she said, how was that even possible? Yeah, because they took it from one small mm. angle. Yeah, people take things and they run with it. Yeah. Yes, you know it's it's not difficult for a spark to start a fire. Yeah, you know, there's very yeah. much a mob mentality uh, as far as being online. There's very little, especially in the United States. There's very little accountability for what you actually are responsible for posting. Mm-hmm. All of these people that do this bullying, rape threats, all of these terrible things that happen every day, a very, 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 very small fraction of them actually like pay a price, probably not even equal to the crime that they're responsible for, but most of them get away with it yeah. because, you know, either people don't step forward or perhaps they don't have the right channel to gain the support to then come forward with that problem. And, you know, it's up to the people, I think, that do know better 
to educate those who don't. I'm not saying that you need to make it your life's mission, but maybe find the time for it every now and again, that if you know somebody that is doing these things on the side and you're aware of it, bring them aside as a friend or as a concerned human being and just say, hey, listen, you know, what you're doing really bothers me. And if, you know, you respect me as your friend and as somebody that you value my opinion, you will modify your behavior Mm -hmm. because it's harmful and I don't like who you are as a person when you do those things. And that's a real problem for me. Yeah. You know, absolutely. You have to speak up. And, it, uh, and I think that obviously those kind of things are beyond the pale and those things, those things are legal action is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I want to make sure that people don't misconstrue because I think they shouldn't, but people misconstrue things a lot. I'm not saying we're, none of us are saying that all of us are equally fallible. You know, um, oh, I'm a mess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the the point is, like, of, I can be wrong, Bob can be wrong, Steve can be wrong, Stephanie can be wrong, Maria can be wrong. But the reason that Stephanie and Maria are wrong is not because they're women. You know, that's that's the that's the root of of the issue, right? It's that, mm-hmm. you know, I disagree with Stephanie all of the time, and I say it very loudly. <laughs> Shut up, Bobby. <laughs> um, and, and that doesn't mean also that you know there aren't issues that have two sides but the point is that you have to have discussions about them in reasonable and intelligent ways or you're doing it wrong you know or if you're if you're if if bob and stephanie said the same exact thing and you only yelled stephanie for it think about why you're only yelling at stephanie for it amen you know that that's the question you know so i just think it's a matter of just looking start with yourself ask yourself these questions and then start looking outward and like maria said change little bits at a time you know and i know people out there probably rolling their eyes at us they're like they're talking about it again because <laughs> we talk about it all the time but it's important it's really important it's so much more important than whether or not we like you know batman or the dying of the dead or whatever you know it's so much more important than that and it's big life stuff and of course we want to distract ourselves talking about comics and using comics to talk about bigger issues that's the great thing about art right in general but if we if the world gets broken, it's not going to matter what art we have, you know. So we've got to we got to fix things so the the art we have matters, mm-hmm. you know. And, All right, Mary, um, we're going to wrap this up. I think we we've gone on for a while, but I want. Do you have anything else you wanted to say before we close it out? Um, I just wanted to make a quick announcement because I said this on Twitter, but um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but um, I right before I spoke to you guys, I was speaking with the Gotham Academy team. Um, Brendan Fletcher, Becky Clunan, and Carl Kershaw. Kershaw. So we're going to be we're going to have an interview with them live on the website, both of the LSE Human Rights Blog and Talking Comics this weekend. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, and tomorrow is Ms. Marvel Day, which is very important. Not only is Ms. Marvel <laughs> Eleven out, but we have an interview with G. Willow Wilson and an article on Ms. Marvel as well. Awesome. So I'm very excited, and I just want to say thank you. For everybody who's been getting in touch about the Comics and Human Rights Representation Week. And I think it's important to say that the hits that the LSE Human Rights website have gotten, which have been unprecedented, they are mostly coming from comic book fans. That's where the referrals are coming from. So that's incredible. And I'm so thankful for the support and for the enthusiasm and overwhelmed by it all. And I'm specifically very, very grateful to all of you to Bob who said yes to you know to the project 
ages ago, the first person to say yes to Bobby, mm. who agreed to host us on the Talking Comics website, to Steve and Stephanie, to everyone, really. You guys have created something wonderful in Talking Comics, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Aww. Well, we are grateful Thank to have you, you Maria. Yes. Yeah, seriously. What, what you've done for the last week has raised the level of the content on the site. So, uh, thank you so much for that. And um, why don't you be where they can they can get in touch with you and follow you uh, online? Um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Maria W Norris. That's N O N O R I S. And I'm on the Talking Comic Forum, Talking Comics Forum as um, Sailor Marvel. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to say goodbye to Maria and close out the show right after this. We are back. Thank you again to Maria for helping us out there. That was awesome to have her on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great stuff. And check out all the articles on the website uh, right now. Uh, also, go to talkingcomicbooks.com and check out all the, the awesome new columns and reviews and everything going up right now. Also, check out our bevy of podcasts, uh, Talking Movies with Brian Verderosa. Um, they just did Bound. Oh, love, w- love I love that movie. movie. Yeah. Witch- I love that movie so much. The Wachowski Brothers Bound. <laughs> yeah, they did that. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Um, Is that in preparation for Jupiter? I think. Jupiter that, I think they're doing it like, uh, like in, con- yeah, Congress <laughs> with it. Yeah, and uh, then they're going to be doing their top fifty movies of all time uh, very, very soon. Talking Valiant with Adam Shaw, uh, The Misfits with Stephanie Cook. Uh, Mara Wood and Melissa Megan, you guys are doing your, uh, you did a Star Wars episode this week. Yeah, and Doctor Who this week coming nice. up. Oh boy. Hitting so, the, all the nerd buttons. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just in time for Gallifrey One, so. Yeah, big mm-hmm. convention. Um, and we have uh, Talking Games, uh, very own Steve Say on that yep. show, uh, with Justin Townsend, Rob Newmeyer, and Jackie Turner. Uh, do you guys have a topic for this week? Sports. Sports. Sports of all, yeah, I know, right? Wow, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Jackie probably knows the most, yeah. <laughs> um, no, nah, Rob knows some That's stuff, true. Rob knows, uh, Rob Justin knows, knows baseball yeah. for sure, yeah. No, I'm I'm the odd man out yeah, on yeah. this one. No, we're gonna, um, we're gonna dig into our memory banks and talk about some of our uh favorite sports related titles, um, spurring off of the Super Bowl that yeah. happened this past weekend, yeah, the highest rated t- television program in U.S. history. Did you see those reaction videos to that interception? No, there was a um compilation of them it was hysterical both sides both people that were for the (laughs) patriots and against so funny and if you guys watch the nationwide commercial your child is already dead yes freaking ridiculous commercial um all right so if you guys want to get in touch with us at talking comics on twitter facebook.com slash talking comics and of course talkingcomicbooks.com is the website if you guys want to touch with us personally i am at bobby shortall on twitter steve i am at dead underscore anchorus stephanie i'm at hello cookie and bob email address bob ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com and guys please if you get a chance head on over to patreon.com slash talking comics and uh check out uh our patreon if you guys want to donate and support us that'd be awesome we got some cool rewards for everybody uh we had an exclusive podcast went up last week um we have a little talking comics pre-roll a little, a little before the show chatter that will go up there this week so make sure you check that out and thank you to everyone who's supported us you guys are awesome 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 um and we'll keep giving you great content but that's gonna do it for this content for, oh. for this week for steve ciao bob boom shakalaka and stephanie <laughs> that's it I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued.